Wow, y'all. It finally happened. We had somebody who was willing to rogan it with me. In this episode of The Web3 Gamer, we were joined by Jerry Singer from Metalcore, who serves as the Business Development and Partnerships Manager at Studio 369. Jerry passionately champions the fusion of Web3 technologies with gaming, aiming to seamlessly connect traditional gaming with the Web3 realm. Before his journey with Metalcore, Jerry was a part of another Web3 gaming venture called Arcade. Its primary focus was on infrastructure. Metalcore is a free-to-play combined arms shooter set on the alien planet Kerberos. Here, players command giant mechs, tanks, and planes in a fierce battle for dominance. As Earth became uninhabitable, humanity sought refuge on this Earth-like planet. However, during the migration, factions emerged. Upon reaching Kerberos, years of pent-up frustrations exploded into chaos, with three factions vying for control. And this game plays a lot like Destiny meets Halo meets kind of a little bit of the No Man's Sky Starfield exploration. Um, You know, there's a lot of cool things going on with it. Jerry was an amazing guest and a great guy to talk to. And I really appreciate him being willing to rogan it with me. He clearly does an amazing thing with a lot of really high quality people. Um, I definitely recommend checking out Gamified on Twitter every Wednesday. He does that with some really big industry professionals, you know, like Paul Bettner, um, Sinjin. It's really just been an amazing thing to watch grow. I've only gotten to tune into a few times. I actually had no idea that Jerry was a part of that (laughs) as long as I did. I've been trying to get Paul Bettner on because I'm a massive Age of Empires fan forever, and Jerry and I even laugh about that. I'm going to shamelessly utilize him to get Paul on this podcast because I really like Paul as a person. I like what he's been doing. And I really like how he came from the traditional gaming sector into Web3 Gaming. And he's just like all in on it now. And I I just love that. And I think he's doing a lot of great things. And he's a super nice guy. I think it's funny that some of the guys on the Gamified refer to him as dad. And I think overall, he's just a really good player in the scene and does a lot of good things and he's like really willing to mentor people probably because he is literally a dad but he's always been a super nice guy and all the interactions i've seen him in all the spaces i've listened to him in and it's just been me spamming him on twitter to try and get him to uh be on my podcast and so now that i have that insider trait with uh jerry here i'm definitely going to take advantage of that and i've been getting to talk to some really amazing guests Besides Jerry, um, I have a backlog of content right now, which is great because some months it really dries up. And so I only stick to my two-week schedule because I want to make sure I can continue to deliver high-quality content to you all. And if I can't find someone, I don't want to force something to come out that is of lower quality. I'm thinking about doing um, intermittent in between the weeks, like a 5- to 15-minute news update. But if there's not enough news, I also don't want to just be like, hey, there's nothing going on this week. So I'm still trying to discover if that's going to work well. And hopefully it does. Because I think a lot of people would enjoy just having that at least uh, if they don't want to listen to an hour to three hour discussion with a specific game. Maybe they just get updates on current games they're interested in or emerging games that we're talking about or playing at the time. So I thought that could be really beneficial to people and it's kind of a little bit more short form content, which I don't really do on this podcast or give out in podcast episodes. I think everything I've done so far is no less than 30 minutes with the exception of my first two episodes, which is just me. And you don't realize how hard it is to talk about something, something even that you're really interested in and you think you know a lot about until you're the only one who has to talk about it for 20 to 30 minutes. 
So that'll be in the pipeline coming up soon, hopefully, and we'll continue to work on that and figure out how that's going to best serve y'all. And obviously, keep finding great people to interview for great games, having these wonderful guests on, having these great conversations. Again, if anybody has any recommendations or there's anybody you want to see on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at the web 3 gamer or you can just email me at TheWeb3Gamer at Proton.me. So plenty of ways to reach out if you want to get on or if you have anybody you think would be a really good fit. I've had a few people do that for me in the past, and it's been great. Anyways, I've yabbed enough. Jerry was an amazing guest. He's 100% welcome back on anytime, especially because he's willing to rogan it with me, which is awesome. And I think Metalcore is a really great game. You can go play the uh, open beta right now. If you download it in the Epic Store, I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes of where you can go find it. And uh, make sure you sign up on their site to be able to get that access code and be able to play. Sign up to get some exclusive vehicles. If you go sign up on their website now or pre-subscribe. And uh, just have fun with it, guys. Remember, guys and girls, remember, there's a lot of fun to be had with all these games. It's just getting better and better. We live in such a great time where people recognize games for the art they are and we get to see all these amazing people talk to these wonderful studios and developers. It's a great time to be alive in gaming. My name is Matthew, and I'm the Web3 Gamer. Tired of your daily commute in that tiny old car? Want to make a big impression at your high school reunion? Introducing the Mecha Max 3000. Why drive when you can strive? With Mecha Max 3000, you can tower above traffic. Literally. No more waiting at red lights. Just step over them. Each Mecha Max comes with a state-of-the-art cup holders, a sunroof, as you're closer to the sun, and a built-in karaoke system. Because when you're piloting a giant robot, everyone should hear you sing. Worried about parking? Don't be. With our patented fold-and-store technology, your Mecha Max can transform into a convenient suitcase size. Well, if the suitcase was the size of a small house. Order now, and we'll throw in a mini robot pet for your Mecha Max, because even giant robots need companionship. Mecha Max 3000, because life's too short to not pilot a giant robot. Terms and conditions apply. Not responsible for any city destruction or giant monster attack. Hello, hello, friends and gamers. I am Matthew Simone, the Web3 Gamer, and I'm here with Jerry from Metalcore. Jerry, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So you're calling in from Salt Lake City, correct? Yeah, beautiful Salt Lake City, which is actually really beautiful right now. In like a month, it's going to suck, but right now it's nice. <laughs> are you, are like in a month, are you just going to get like a brutal winter? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm from California originally, so anything that's like below like 60 degrees is a brutal winter for me. Gotcha. Um, and it'll be like my first winter, like being in Salt Lake. I came kind of like halfway through last time. So yeah, I get all pale, you know, I get, you know, all bitter because I can't go out in the sun and stuff. But yeah, I get grumpy. So good. We're doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I totally get Well, and it's funny because I have a brother who lives in denver and i thought that would be the same thing but he's like not nah, it's like sunny over 300 days a year it's like so even if it's like blisteringly cold out you go outside and you're like well at least it still looks really pretty it's not like gray and overcast because we're originally i'm originally from like ohio so like okay. man the winter months is just gray depressing overcast yeah and like, i've kind of come well, to love that but like i'm yeah. glad i don't i don't miss it to a degree <laughs> right i always thought like winters anywhere it snowed was just like this like frozen tundra 
and yeah like most of the time it snows and like it it'll just melt like the next day or like you get like a three-day snow like it, it sticks for like a week or whatever yeah. i was totally prepped to come into like you know people building igloos and stuff like that but yeah no it's not that bad here but yeah anything just just like a little too cold is yeah i still don't like i don't know i don't want like a coat or anything so <laughs> <laughs> no i got you well it, it's funny too because like other than like in the mountains in denver like even where i'm from in originally in ohio like we would have periods like we would have winters where you'd be like cool there's snow on the ground for like a month straight and then we would also have like the weirder thing for us was like it would be like it's april are we done getting snow or is it going to snow one more time so sometimes like towards the end of april early may we'd get like one final like random like foot of snow but then like within a week it's all gone and then you don't have any snow anymore and so it's just weird like so did you do that with the sun in the winter because i'm kind of going through that right now where like i kind of like we had a really cold week a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and i was like well it's that this is the start but now it's like really sunny and it's really nice <laughs> and i keep going like is this the last one should i go swimming or paddle boarding or something now or am i gonna get one more right well so and i'm i'm in georgia now and so we always get a false fall so like right now it's like low like 50s like low to mid 50s and we're like oh yeah cool falls here but like usually what happens for us is come december it gets back up to like the 70s or 80s for like a week and then it goes back to fall so it's really weird so i would say take advantage of it while you can because i don't know i can't speak because here we could do that randomly um that's why a lot of people love to move to atlanta they'll just be like wow it's february and i can like drink beer on my back porch and it's like cool 70s low like low 80s high 70s so yeah. It's just weird. We're different. I don't know. It's just that Southeast being in the Gulf, we get all that hot air. But I think this year it's a, it's a cold stream. So I'm expecting a pretty cold winter this year, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah. Well, and you guys, it's always humid. So, you know, Georgia is a place I always stayed away from for that reason, right? Yeah, man. It's always, <laughs> I, we don't have it as bad as Florida or Mississippi. That's for sure. But my gosh, yeah. Like I don't envy, I just started running again in the summer. And I used to always be like, those guys are crazy who run in the summer heat. And now that I've acclimated to it, I was like, I'm one of those crazy guys who's running in the summer heat. You are anybody who runs is crazy, man. Running is the worst (laughs) physical activity, man. I, you know, I used to be a firefighter. I'm very passionate about working out and and health and stuff. Never, not running though. Running sucks, man. It's just, it hurts. Feet always hurt. Shins hurt. You know? (laughs) No, you're totally right. Ego. it's it is it is definitely a mental sport and i think that's why i like doing it because it was like well man if i can handle this like come on like it can't like other things aren't as bad as i'm making them out to be it's also like a weird cathartic thing i think like for some people with like weightlifting or weight training where like they're like god this hurts god this sucks and then afterwards they're like man i feel great and you're like dude but you were complaining the whole time they're like yeah but like now that it's done i I feel like the gains i feel great so i i feel like it's like that for me but I, I know it's not like that for everyone. I meet telling people who are like, I will never run if I don't have to. So yeah. well, the <laughs> I takeaway totally get that. Here is that you said it's a mental sport. So we, yes. we're five minutes into the podcast and you called me mentally weak already. So <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not mentally weak if you were a firefighter, honestly, which, you oh. know, that's a great transition. What? Yeah. So how 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 did you even one get into being a firefighter? How long did you do that? And then how did you transition from that to where you're at now with Metal Corps? Yeah. Um, yeah. Super, you know, and I actually haven't talked about this in a long time. So um, I was a kid was always like, you know, I, I think in, I don't know, in California, like when you're in like second grade or whatever, you always take like, a field trip. They take you to a fire station. And I, I was like, man, this is super cool. And then um, 
you know, I just, it's one of those things, there's a lot of things in life, I think you just, like, how do I do that, though, right, and there's, you kind of look it up on Google, and I remember, like, when I would look up, like, how do I become a firefighter, right, it was, like, you go to be an EMT first, and I was, like, well, those guys, like, save lives, like, that's, like, a doctor, right, and I'm, like, in high school, like, looking at some of the stuff, and, um, you know, so I kind of went away from it, I went into, like, I was actually an event, uh, in events, private events in Southern California, so I was, like, a head of sales for a small event company, I scaled that company up, kind of found out I have a pension for being able to like negotiate and, and sell things. Um, and then that company like started making a lot of money and the owners were like, well, running an event company is really logistically hard. We're just going to sell it. And so they sold it and they gave me a little bit of money from that, which is really cool. So I'm like in my young 20s and um, just kind of bumming out and playing playing games. And I had a buddy who was like, dude, he, was, he just came back from the military. And he was like, man, I don't know. I think I'm just going to go be a firefighter. And I was like, yeah, that's not like a good idea. I'm going to do it too. And so we just kind of, you know, um, figured out like, and you find out, you know, things aren't as hard when you just do them. So like EMT school, you can actually get done in like six weeks in California. Right. So I took like an accelerated course to do that and took like the entry level classes. You have to take like some fire science classes at a junior college that, you know, some people went to Harvard. I went to the prestigious Riverside Community College and uh, knocked out some of those classes and then went to the fire academy and then like just worked super hard, um, finished first in my academy and, um, you know, pretty much got a firefighting job six months after that. So it's super competitive. You know, I don't know. I just kind of attack things with not a lot of thought and just hard work. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that worked out up to, up to that point. So, yeah, I spent like four years doing that. Um, and realized that like as a firefighter it's a really noble job and it's you know you get to do some really cool things have some really cool experiences with that but i found most of the time you're the first person that's too late to a problem right so you're you know really somebody needed help not in the moment that they're overdosing right they needed help 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and there's i mean just in the states like you know not a you know, it's just we don't have good support systems for things like addiction, homelessness. Right. Um, these are these have become like political issues and they shouldn't be. They should we should just have better support systems for like our fellow man. Right. Um, and 911 probably isn't that thing. And um, so I looked at things that were like what helped me avoid some of those things as a kid from, you know, a pretty rough area who, you know, didn't really spend a lot of time in college. You know, I have a degree and stuff like that, but yeah, didn't do well in college. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, what helped me get away from those things? And it was like sports and video games, right? You know, instead of going out and like selling drugs, like a lot of my friends did who were like now in jail, I was playing World of Warcraft, right? And I was like, I I was an addict myself just to video games, right? Which is a much healthier addiction that we allow. Um, So, you know, really as I got kind of disgruntled with firefighting and just like, it became this like negative thing for me, you know, just going to fire stations. I was like starting to feel just like physically sick all the time you know, um, thought like, all right, what do I care a lot about sports and, you know, uh, video games? Like, how do I get a job in one of those? And as I was, you know, thinking through that, I had a friend who's had a startup who that was in gaming, um, and crypto or like web three. So kind of a blend of the two. And he's like, dude, we need somebody like you. I know you have like a sales background and partnerships and you're good at networking and all those things. So do you want to come work for us? And I was like, yeah, I do, because I just quit this job without really a backup plan. So, you know, I quit the job first. I didn't have one, like, you know, going forward. I, I just knew I, I couldn't be there anymore. So um, did that. 
worked in worked for that company for a little bit, still helping out with some things. But you know, along the way, the guys uh, at Metalcore, you know, I, I helped them out with a couple of things, and you know, they were like, "Hey, man, we we need you. Like, we need you to come work for us." And I was like, "All right, cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to do this." So. I somehow found my way, you know, backwards into that. But yeah, I never thought I'd have a career in gaming because, you know, I don't don't have an artistic bone in my body. I don't don't code, couldn't write a single line of code, you know. So um, and I think those things always held me back from like pursuing gaming. But, you know, there's a lane for everybody. You just have to find it. Very long story about my my journey. I apologize. No, no, don't don't do that. That's what that's what I want to hear. And I I mean, as a big fan of podcasts, that's exactly like, I mean, if you had to go on like 10 more minutes, you totally could have. Like, I don't think there's any, I think often like people feel weird period, like telling their life story or telling their background. Cause they're like, ah, like it's, it's not, it's like, it feels weird. Cause like, it's all about me, but you're like, well, you're setting like a stage for people who are interested in hearing about you. So right. trust me, I feel the same way. Anytime I've been on another podcast and like, tell me your background. I'm like you, I'm like, I'm in a totally different like industry for my full-time job than what I do for this as like my side passion. But our alignments are the same in that I've always loved gaming and into gaming and that's how i ended up getting into it but what i will say that you do it sounds like a lot of is like business development you know yeah, uh, and yeah. and it's ironic <laughs> it's ironic in um gaming there's a ton of people who are really really bad at business development who can build these amazing companies and like have everything nailed from like this is what the game's going to be like here's how it's going to be developed here's who we're um we already have some partners but then like after that they're like we lost a lot of momentum because we don't know who to reach out to or who to talk to or even how to have those conversations so i think it's a I think it's a really important position that gets overlooked a lot. And I think often people don't want to hire somebody specifically for business development. They'll kind of put that either on the CEO because they'll be like, well, you're the face of the company. You need to sell it and you need to make mm -hmm. these partnerships. Or they might push it down to um, a lower tier of just like project management almost. They're like, well, yeah. you can do the business development side. But unfortunately, if like those people don't have the experience, like it's not that they are going to be a bad fit. It's just like, you know, if, if, if they're wandering blind, it's, going to be a lot it's going to take them a lot more time to ramp up as opposed to someone like yourself who's like oh i inherently have been doing these things and have these skills i just have to like cater it to this industry so it makes a lot yeah. more sense for someone like yourself yeah i think it's a very um you know it's a it's a role that people don't think about a lot in gaming because like for the end user you know like you just go buy a game and you play it right you don't think about you know who was the person who like made some of these deals come together like who dealt with the publisher this whole time who helped you know distribution who you know negotiated some of these things um you know in our world of web3 i mean take that and multiply it by 10 you know who who's helped me with discoverability and you know who's who who can you facilitate like sales of assets through and and who can you find who is going to help you with like in-game monetization which might not be something that you incorporate with like a metamask but it's like a web2 payment processor right um and you know who's going to help do the fundraising efforts because, you know, not everybody here is like, I mean, most studios are, are cash flow and negative. Right. So um, where's the money going to come from? And so there's a lot of things where, you know, you know, when you look at gaming, you think of the, the you know, somebody comes up with an idea for a game and they build out a team, they go through that plan. It's, it's a couple years process. You know, if you're lucky, maybe like a five or six year process, if you're really ambitious, um, but along that path, you know, you need somebody who helps you figure out like monetization and, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, definitely, a, a interesting role to play. Um, you know, a lot of, um, behind the scenes work definitely more. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky that for Metalcore, they let me go out and like do things like this. Right. So 
helps kind of keep a little bit of a dynamic effort and being like the, one of the public personas of the game. But, you know, we also are, we're, a, you know, a alpha beta stage game with that's been showing gameplay off for a year. Right. So that there needs to be a lot of like community efforts. So I'm definitely like the company wildcard. I, I kind of just do what they tell me or what needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, too, because I really like um, Paul at Wild Paul Bettner at wildcard yeah, just because. I, I, you know, what's funny is like I had followed him for a while just because of his work on Age of Empires, and I was a huge Age of Empires fan growing up. And so when I saw he was doing that, I've been trying to get him on my podcast forever because I'll just spam him on Twitter, being like, "Paul, when are you going to be on? When are you going to be on, Paul? I'd love to have you on." Yeah. And I, I know eventually I'll get to him, but yeah, just because I he has that history where I'm like, "Paul, I've been a fan for a very long time." It's not just I was like, "Wild Card's great. I'm looking forward to Wild Card stuff," but I was like, "I've been a fan before you even." We're talking yeah. about wildcard so it's yeah. funny that you mentioned him i mentioned them uh at all because um i really like what he does and i like what they're doing yeah. and well vega hall that's first couple things i meant uh, like i'm like the wild card at, like in the company or like our <laughs> studio like i play I'm, I'm the swiss army knife is a better way to say yeah. he co-opted the term yeah i'm paul gotcha um no i'm just kidding but uh, yeah paul's a super good friend of mine um and well he's become it's really interesting one of the things that's like most humbling to me in my experience so far is that like people consider me like a peer of Paul's mm -hmm. and I'm like, dude, I'm not like, I don't deserve him to be in that in the <laughs> same breath as that man, you know, cause he's so accomplished, but mm -hmm. you know, just kind of being part of a nascent industry that he chose to build a game in too, you know, I get to like share spaces and, you know, we do like the, uh, you know, we do gamified every Wednesday and um, you know, I have to like, challenge paul's thoughts sometimes or go against him in like arguments or debates or whatever and i'm like gosh this is intimidating but really cool for me i'm mean, such a humbling thing to look at people like him and be like man he and i are like come out our names come out in the same sentences sometimes it's like i don't i don't deserve that by any means right he's been doing this since like the 90s but yeah super <laughs> cool guy if he's big timing you i'll let me know i'll get him on the podcast so i'll make sure he's set some time I may take that shameless plug then <laughs> and take advantage of that. Cause yeah, I've wanted to talk to him for a long time. Um, yeah. Well, so obviously then just from, you know, our brief discussion, you definitely consider, you know, maybe not currently, but at one point you definitely considered yourself a gamer. And I mean, you know, what were some of your favorite games growing up? Obviously wow is one of them, or do you, are there any like favorite games you have besides Metalcore, obviously currently? Well, yeah, obviously Metalcore. Um, the yeah, I was really big. I mean, I, my origin story in gaming starts with like a Nintendo 64 that my parents foolishly bought me uh, when I was like <laughs> six or seven. Um, little did they know that they would create like a years long uh, fight with ADD and video games. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, first game I like ever really sat down and just like went through was Ocarina of Time. And I did that with my dad, who I was like super close to. Um, and then just like could not stop like playing the game. Even when I knew I had like beaten it for the first time, like I just mm -hmm. instantly like restarted it. Um, so yeah, I've really played like, you know, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, um, the whole Legend of Zelda series, like the moment they come out, it's like the one thing I would like probably go stand in life. I'm, I don't have a lot of passions in life, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, the one of the few things I'm willing to go like sit in a line for would be like a Zelda game. Thank God they're just digitally released now. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like Wave Racer was super important to me. Um, Gauntlet Legends, if you've heard of that game, oh, yeah. with my brother, um, who my older brother, who's not super into gaming, but he just like loved that game. Um, 
And then, yeah, when I'm, my parents then foolishly made another mistake, bought me a PC and I started playing Warcraft three and, um, you know, World of Warcraft that, you know, I mean, I always tell the story that like I sold gold on World of Warcraft and that like helped pay for a lot of my college. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but, you know, wow, Dota two are probably like my the two mainstays from like the last, you know, 15 years. Um, yeah, those are those are games I'm like super passionate about. And uh, yeah, just played through like Tears of the Kingdom, greatest game of all time, probably. Uh, and yeah, you know, when I, you know, working in gaming, I don't get to game as much as I used to because like I'm already sitting at my desk all day and, you know, working through like and just QA testing our own game. Sure. Um, but, you know, when I do still play, yeah, you know, playing usually Dota 2. Um, I've been playing a lot of Block Lords, which is a Web3 game. It's kind of like yes. Age of Empires. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really type cool. City builder. Yeah, it's, it, I'm kind of addicted to it right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, uh, and I play a lot of horror games, too. So, like, Dead by Daylight, um, Visage, like, one of my favorite games of all time. You know, so, yeah, really, really into horror games. I just bought Resident Evil 4. Never played that, like, back in the day. So I'm really excited to play the remake. I just need to find the time to do it. That that is my favorite in the series, and I until it recently came out, like I was like, I don't know, is it going to do it justice? And it it honestly did it justice to the original, yeah. in my opinion. So I, that's one of my favorite horror games ever, um, and still like my favorite in the series. I will say the newest ones, um, after that probably comes the two remake. The remake of two was really really good, and then eight was uh, also my third favorite. But yeah. they've got that's they've been doing some really good things. Ones, right? Eight. Yeah, eight's eight's a village, so that was a really fun oh, okay. one. Yeah. Um, I didn't, that, and I liked that one because it reminded me so much of four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so really, that's why I enjoyed it. When I was like thinking, and I could be totally wrong on this, but four has like the really interesting, like you know, your character is like the lower left of the screen, right? And I want to say when I was like thinking about this, the first time there was like a shooter that I can think of anyway that was actually done in third person, which is way more common now, and people are starting mm -hmm. to do like it's a mainstay. Um, but up to that point, I hadn't really like seen any games that that were doing that. But you know, I could be totally wrong there. But um, you know, obviously they remake they remake and reissue games like that for a reason because they're like full classics. So super excited to actually finally play it for the first time. Yeah, and I mean, I'm also a huge fan of Zelda. Period. It's funny that um, like we both started on 64 because that's exactly where I started playing as well. Because I think. I mean, my dad had an Atari, but like I didn't really get it, or like I wasn't—I yeah. was like too young to get it. And so, you're kind of more annoying than like a, <laughs> able to participate. That was like me with my older siblings, right? It's like yeah, had a Nintendo, and they'd be like, "Jerry, just go away. Like you're playing Mario <laughs> right now. You don't know how to do it." So, right? Yeah, and I feel like with N64, even like a lot of times, I was just watching my older cousins play. Like I, it's ironic that I loved Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask for like years before i ever played him because i was too like young i didn't know how to play him so i just watched like i remember like at family get togethers my like my older cousin who was really good at video games would be playing and we'd all just watch him which is so funny to think about now with like the way watching video games has gone via twitch um and like my aunts would come in and they'd be like well jake why don't you let everyone else have a turn and be like oh no no we like this we like watching jake play like <laughs> jake's really good like we're enjoying yeah. this and they're like okay like but it is funny to think about yeah like ocarina of time was one of the same same here. One of the first games I actually like beat on my own. And um, I don't know. It's so weird to think about. Like if somebody is like, 
I'm going to psychoanalyze you and be like, why that have such an influence on you? Be like, I really don't know, but it's still, yeah, the Zelda series is one of my favorites to this day, um, period. Like Twilight Princess is probably oh, my number one. Yeah. But <laughs> it's so, I, why won't they remake it, man? Like I know, right? They did the they did the HD remake um yeah. for the Wii U and that was it. But that yeah, was the like Wii U, though it doesn't count, you know. Yeah, right. And that, that did poor, <laughs> terribly sales. But yeah, like I loved that darker Zelda view. Yeah. Like I was like, man, I would love to see that make a comeback. So but yeah, yeah. Tears of the Kingdom. I was totally hesitant because I hadn't because it wasn't until that final trailer where like you could really see the gameplay, and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sold now. I bought it day one. Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. I played all the way through and I put like 120 hours in, but same as you. It would be like doing work at my desk all day. I'd be like, all right, if I'm going to play this in the evening, like I need to go out and do like my daily exercise, do my other things, take care of stuff and then come back. So I can't just go yeah. from work right into gaming and be like, I right. didn't do anything today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, it's like a super important thing for me to like, because I totally could if I didn't stay disciplined. You know, it's probably the best thing firefighting taught me is that mm -hmm. like, you know just wake up a little earlier and like work out then or whatever because if i didn't do stuff like that like i could so easily just be like yeah i'm gonna eat terrible food all day and as soon as i can strap my computer off i'm just gonna start playing tears of the kingdom like yeah i can get like still to this day just really sucked into games like that and uh Same. yeah Same. I th there's a really interesting that you bring up like somebody did a psychoanalysis on you because i feel like one of the things that's really common with especially zelda fans is if you really liked Ocarina of Time, you really liked Majora's Mask, which is another dark game, you probably really liked Twilight Princess. And lower on that totem pole is like Wind Waker, it's not as dark, and like Skyward Sword, which are still like awesome games, but yes, you know, there's something to be said about like just the darker like Zelda games in the series, or I mean, they're beautiful, right? Even like Tears of the Kingdom, you know, is, is, yeah, I don't know. it's not super dark, but it has like the whole like chasm and in you know kind of eerie elements to it. Oh yeah, First the time hands were coming at me. I was like, dude, this is terrifying. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they did yeah. they did a great job with the deaths. But you're right, Wind Waker is um. It's funny. I've heard I for as many times as I've played that game, I don't know why I always forget to add it in my list because I do love Wind Waker. It's so <laughs> and good. I did. Man, it's another I one. did love Just remake Sword, it yeah. already. I would. Yeah, I would pay happily like 200 bucks for each one of them you know <laughs> so for every person that doesn't buy it at that price i'll make up for it you know what i mean sure no, um, i totally hear you yeah just i don't know nintendo they're they're teasing us though they always talk about it and it's always like you know oh this right. this conference they're gonna announce it and every year i get my hopes up. it's like being a sports fan you know you get yes. your hopes up every year and just get let down with all the rumors going abound too, like, oh my gosh, like you're just like here, like now I swear, like this is like the hundredth time they're like, Switch 2 is coming out. It's going to be able to do like 4K. And I'm like, maybe it will. I don't know. I I'm done paying attention because I have no idea. Nintendo's just going to probably shadow drop it. Just like they did with the Metroid Prime remaster. Cause they're like, ah, oh, nobody's gonna yeah. no one's gonna care about this. And everybody's like, what the heck? Like, why didn't we hear about this? So it's funny how I feel like sometimes Nintendo knows exactly like they're like, people are going to love this or they don't know. And they think people are going to love it and they don't. Or they're just like, I don't know, man, just throw it in that direct and we'll see how it does. Yeah. And they're like, oh, turns out people are really excited about that one. <laughs> it's funny, right? Nintendo is, has so many, like, it's either like a great, like, they're, uh, if you follow baseball, they're like the true, like, you know, three outcome team, right? It's either going to be a home run, a strikeout, or a walk, right? Like, yep, there's no, uh, yeah, like, the, um, yeah, we use a great example, right? Like, it's just, it sucked. And then, like, 
but in sandwiched between those or you know you had the wii u and then switch and, and the wii which is like two two of the most iconic consoles yeah. of all time right yeah and i feel like some of the the product releases are the same like hyrule warriors didn't touch that super passion about zelda same, had no interest same. yeah I'm just not like, it's just not my style of game. Like, you know, I tried playing, I played the demo and I was like, yeah, I get it. Not for me, you know, but yeah. I know a lot of people were like, oh, you should just play it because of the lore. And I'm like, I'll just watch YouTube videos, you know, I really <laughs> okay, want to so. catch up on the lore now, you know, <laughs> so I, I totally get that. But mm-hmm. well, I feel like we could probably talk a whole podcast about just, you know, video gaming obviously, but yeah, <laughs> to get us back on track about Metalcore, <laughs> um, I mean, so is there... I, so I played briefly um, some of Metalcore, and it looks like in the beginning, like that beginning sequence, like there is a bit of lore, you know, whether, I don't know if you release more throughout the game or if that's just kind of supposed to be like a backdrop to give you like your picture for the game. But like, it, there's obviously like some sort of lore behind your game and like, you know, the way people play, there's a variety of styles. Do you want to go into any of that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we we do have a little bit of lore. It's not something we've leaned into like super heavily. Um but yeah, you know, essentially the story of Metalcore is humans kind of do what humans do, right? Earth became this uninhabitable place. Um, and so humanity kind of loaded up onto ships, you know, a few giant ships and, and set out for a planet that was Earth-like. Um, and, you know, through that journey, um, you know, a, a years, hundreds of years long journey, um, one of the ships kind of, you know, blows up. And, you know, people kind of wake up when they're not supposed to and factions start to break out. So by the time, you know, these ships reach this planet called Kerberos, everybody's just primed for war, right? Everybody's ready to kind of start going at it. So we have, you know, three factions in the game, Metal Punks, Gear Breakers, and Holy Corp. Um, Just based off of the names, you could probably tell, like, you know, who you are and where you fit in that. I'm very much passionate about Metal Punks. Holy Corp, for some reason, people are like, yeah, we like the whole, like, government purist kind of thing. And then the Gearbreakers <laughs> are kind of like the, uh, you know, the very good engineers and tinkers and things like that. Um, so, yeah, you choose one of those. Uh, you you kind of start out as a neutral faction. Then you choose, like, which one you align with a little bit more. And, you know, you start playing the game from there. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of lore in the game. Something we'll, we'll lean into more uh, as time goes on. But, you know, one of the ideas we have with Metalcore is, like, we want, we want, the people who are playing the game to start telling the story. So we've kind of intentionally left the things up in the air. You know, we don't really have, you know, a predetermined notion of like who we want to win these wars. We want people to start playing the game and to see, you know, who pulls ahead, right? Who who starts creating, you know, crafting really cool things, who starts um, you know, taking over territories that are that are in the game. You know, the game is at its core is all about just territory control and and trying to make sure that your faction is going to reign supreme over the others and, and ultimately, you know, win control of this planet. Well, it, it's cool too, because like the gameplay itself, like when I was going through all the tutorial, like I was like, oh, there's like mecha style gameplay. There's like first person shooter style gameplay. There's um, vehicle gameplay. Like it was, it was interesting because um, it felt like a combination of, and of course, like I just finished playing like Armored Core Six not that mm. long ago too. So like I was like, and I don't consider myself like much of a mecha guy. Like I'm just like I like them, but I like it's not like a game like I'm like I got to play every mecha game out there. Um, but I I like them and I appreciate them for what they are. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting to have like 
the combination of what you can do and it looks like you can almost like build and customize your mech if i'm correct on that at later points in the game which i thought was cool um because that was a really cool thing in armored core 6 being able to customize like weapons layout all that stuff as it went on um but like the the main like vibe i got was like a combination of when i was in the mech i was like mech warrior and some armored core 6 vibes and then when i was doing first person i was like this is very like halo destiny like reminded me of that and so i wasn't sure if those were like games that influenced the team at all development or if that just kind of like happened to come out that way yeah no it's definitely like you know direct inspiration for you know, a lot of a lot of our guys worked on some of those games right so like the first like mech warrior games a lot of our team was on those teams right and so we have a bunch of guys who are from like midway who have always been passionate about like building mech game um experiences and have just mm-hmm. always kind of found themselves building that and so yeah, um, very inspired by by some of those games, and yeah, the, you know, the idea of the game is you have all of the above, right? And you have them all blended into elements of the game. So you, you kind of have to participate in all of them. You can't just be a guy who, you know, sits in a plane and you're really good at, at, at having a plane, but then, you know, you have to get on the ground at some point and go and capture a base, right? If you want to like win the territory wars, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna have to not be a pilot for a little bit because you have to go. And capture like a domination style point, which is going to give you control of that as- that area of the map, right? So, um, you know, with that, it, it's definitely like a, a combined arms game, you know, with uh, a blend of some of the, the games that you know we've all been super passionate about, right? And yeah, customization huge in our roadmap. Definitely something that we are super excited about, especially in the context of like trading and having like ownership of assets. Like if you can customize and craft something that is way cooler than anybody else can because you understand the game at its core better than somebody else does yeah and and you find something that you're like super passionate about grinding and you find like a rare blueprint or a rare material or anything and you can you know give this super fast mech like really heavy artillery and you know kind of leverage it to to its extremes um you've created something that might be super valuable to somebody else right so being able to trade that um you know is is really important to us you know so customization huge to us crafting you know really important to to us you know on the roadmap well and it sounds like that's probably a big reason why y'all chose to build like a uh like a web3 game instead of maybe more traditional game because you give players not only like their asset ownership but also uh like that profitability standpoint of if somebody really finds a good thing in the game and you know i think the profitability standpoint of um in-game asset ownership really like is something like we as players have always been like, that would have been cool to be able to like, I, I mean, I'm sure you, I've spent plenty of games where I'm like grinding, not for any other reason other than my pure self enjoyment for like one, two, maybe even 300 hours plus. And if at the end when I was like, I guess I'm finally done with this game or we'll come back. Somebody's like, hey, do you want to sell your stuff and like make some money? I would have been like, yeah, it sounds pretty sweet. Like, why wouldn't <laughs> I do that? Like, yeah. So it's really cool to see that in Web3 games. Like I know it's a big, um, it's kind of like the, um, the stay all now with a lot of these web games is they're like, of course we have asset ownership and like, we try to make everything reasonable in the game, like going to be an NFT that you can asset trade, uh, you can own, you can trade, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, so, I mean, are there any other reasons? Like, I'm sure there were more than just that, obviously that made y'all want to develop like a web three game versus just like another, you know, since a lot of your, it sounds like a lot of your development team came from the traditional gaming sector rather than just choose to go the route of develop another traditional game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, every, everybody on the team is really passionate about like what that can mean for like the player experience and how can that add to and not take from you know the player experience right and 
So the goal, I think, for anybody who has built something within the Web3 space is like bi-directional benefit, right? Whereas gaming has traditionally been this thing where I give you dollars, you give me a cool experience, and you, you're probably going to keep asking me for dollars. I mean, in the last like 10 years, right? It's It's become very much like, well, here's a cosmetic upgrade. Here's a skin upgrade. Here's, you know, something. And, and as gamers, we all kind of hate that, right? But being able to bring something that has like bi-directional benefit, um, you know, and it's, it's, you choose to partake in it if you want to, right? You don't have to, um, nobody's gonna, we're not gonna sit here and beg you, you know, 5% of an NFT sale is really pretty insignificant for, for most projects. Like if you're not Yuga, you know, that, uh, or parallel maybe, right? Like there's, there's very specific examples of people who actually like can do something with royalty, um, yeah. trading. And so that's, that's, that's pretty insignificant. If we hit a critical mass of players, obviously that would be something that is, you know, substantial for us, but at this current juncture, it's, it's just not right. And for most teams, it won't be, um, but, you know, being able to like have a player just own the totality of their experience within the game is, you know, I think something that's always been missing. Right. And it was easy for me as a gamer to kind of grasp the concept of what that means in the context of gaming, because I sold gold on WoW. I sold accounts on WoW, right? Because my friend knew how to script bots. So I could like level up a character to 60 and then sell that. And it, you know, um, and I would make a few hundred bucks off it each time. I was like a teenager. So that was really like a million dollars to me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's been easy for me to grasp. Um, and, you know, it, it's for us, you know, then something we can take to everything that exists within our universe, right? Whether that's the characters, you know, or all the vehicles, right? And that's kind of where we're starting at with with NFT and blockchain integrations is, you know, the tanks, the characters, the planes, the mechs, you know, all those are, are ownable and, you know, upgradable and we'll have talent trees and all those things. So, you know, if you can find a way to make your, maybe you minted like the least rare thing that we sold, right? But because you immersed yourself in the game, you understood like, how do I make this the best thing in the game? You can totally do that and, and make that be something that's, that's rare and unique and and ultimately, you know, have value. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, like, you know, you don't have to. Free to play game. So. Yeah, when I noticed that when I booted it up is like, of course, like I'm I'm really big into all the asset ownership. So I linked my wallet immediately. But I, I noticed that there was the option, which is again, like, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. I've noticed with a lot of studios now, it's almost like a hybrid approach where you're like, look, we're developing a, a game that we hope you just want to play first and foremost because it's like a fun to play game for you. And like, that's what keeps you coming back because that's been like, you know, a tried and true model for a really long time. If you like our game, you'll keep coming and you'll keep playing. And that's great for us because that means we can prove, you know, player retention or player ownership or uh, monetary value later down the line to develop another game to any of our investors or founders. But like they'll they'll do this really interesting hybrid where the game is completely playable as just a regular standalone, like traditional game. But then also they have the parallel um, road running where they have all the Web3 integration of, you know, your wallet, asset ownership. Maybe maybe there's a token in place that you, instead of earning, um, like, I don't know if you've played Undead Blocks where it's like, instead of yeah. earning, instead of earning like your EXP is the token to use to upgrade your weapons, which are NFTs. And then from there, like you could upgrade a weapon massively and decide like, oh, I have two of this. I'm just going to sell this weapon because like, I don't, I don't need it. I have two of it. So it's an interesting thing to see that there's that, those parallel roads running to like side by side where you have exactly that. And um, I think it's a really good thing because I think it gives a lot of bleed over into traditional gaming where people who would probably just play this game anyways, if it was just like, you know, on steam or Epic or wherever they could get it to see these things pop up. I think 
it's not going to work for everyone, but I think there are going to be people who question be like, what is that? And where do I learn about that? And then go find out more about it. And then kind of that's their introduction into Web3 gaming. So I, I think it's yeah. nothing but a good thing. And I think it, yeah. it's going to hopefully bring more and more people in over the years. Because <laughs> unfortunately, other than people like you and me and people who are already into it, like it feels like player count and retention is like extremely low. Because yeah. even on the hybrid games, people who are playing it, who it has all these Web3 integrations and technologies are just playing the regular base game as if it was just like a regular traditional game. Yeah, yeah, 100%, right? And because that's what most people, like, the thing I think that we lose sight of, right, is most people just haven't asked for this. If you're like a regular gamer, like I said, I, I saw a way to make money and I was always kind of a hustler mindset, right? So I did ask for things like this. Well, and then when they weren't presented to me, I just found a way to do them, right? But most people by and large, you think of your guy who like lays brick for a living, right? He just wants to come home, doesn't necessarily want to learn about like white papers and tokenomics and, you know, inflationary NFTs and how do you make them deflationary and stuff like that, right? That's a very niche person who who's going to be interested in those things. A lot of people just want to turn on Call of Duty, see their friends online and just play the game, right? Sure. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, right? But just it's, you need to start, I think, when you're building a Web3 game with the acknowledgement that most people aren't interested in the same things that you're interested in. So how do you still create something that is going to give them benefit and slowly over time be more comfortable with what you're building? Because there is benefit if you're spending time in those games, right? Everybody always says, you go on like Web3 gaming Twitter for a second, you'll see someone be like, well, if they just read my skins NFTs and I could sell them, you know, that would be great. Well, you know, you, you have to work your way into that. And um, most people are just content to, to just play games. So um yeah i think I, i'm not answering your question though. i think i'm going on a different tangent <laughs> no no continue <laughs> continue this is fine uh, yeah okay so um yeah and and we have kind of um and one of the things we're known for is like being at a lot of like web 2 traditional trade shows right like pax west mm -hmm. we did TwitchCon. um we we did comic con this year um there's not a big one i'm missing out that i'm going to get in trouble for not mentioning but um we also have done like the Web3 thing. We did 3XP. We've, we've done FTMIC for a couple of years. And we've just shown the game off to, you know, one of the shows, uh, I'm not going to mention which one, but said like, hey, don't talk about NFTs. Like, we're not really okay with that. Just you're here as a game, right? And people just like the game. And that for us was, and this is last year. So before creative league drama and people really coming out against blockchain and um you know people just kind of showed up and enjoyed the game and joined our discord and, and liked the game and found out later what we were doing but you know because of that softer approach it's easier for people to kind of understand what was happening and ask questions right and so um i think it, you know if you just come from a, a place where your, your gameplay your your north star is is gameplay people will come around to the other elements of it. Uh, you just have to make them good enough. And, you know, um, unless you're building something that's fully on chain, I think there's no reason to not build something that everybody can partake in and just allow them to to control their experience in the game, right? I think that's what most people want is the the right to choose and, and the ability to, ch to choose how they, you know, um, are involved with something. And, you know, that's that's totally our MO and what, what we've kind of built the game around. Yeah, and it even makes me think of like in just like regular traditional gaming, like how Bethesda has their Bethesda Club, and like mm -hmm. 
you any of their games you buy that you sign you can you can choose at the beginning like you don't have to at all be a part of it it's like an optional thing where they're like look if you want to sign into your bethesda club now whatever it's called of course i'm forgetting (laughs) um they're like yeah well because you bought the game and you're playing like we dropped some bonus skins or some extra content for you and people are always like oh cool i'm like what did it take on your end it was like just email username sign up and then logging in when you get to the front of the game yeah. Um, and some people they just go yeah i don't care i just want to play the game so I totally get it but i feel like we kind of at least what you're talking about of having that like introduction of um getting people like whether they want to be a part of like the nft thing or all the web3 tech it's like we kind of already have that integration of at least like the ux design of do you want to have additives to your already like interesting gameplay experience if you don't totally fine it doesn't change the game at all mm-hmm. if you do what we hope is all it does is enhance the gameplay for you or just give you some additional like fun things to show off, whether they're just yeah. skins or whatever, you know? So I think that's a good thing. I don't, I don't think it's anything but good. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right that it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see going forward because with all the negative NFT press now, I'm wondering if that'll get a bad rap. I haven't seen it get a bad rap in the gaming sector. At least it's really just been the stereotypical, which we kind of all saw coming of people were like, I can't pay like 250k for a JPEG and claim it yeah. still has artistic value, which I I could I could argue both sides of the coin for and against it, but I'm not here to do yeah. that. But I, I totally get how that was from the moment that started. I was like, this is going to be the thing that is going to come eventually at some point to a head, and I didn't think it would come when it did or how it did at all. But it's interesting to see nonetheless. So I think it's good. We yeah. think we're good in gaming right now. I don't think people view it in it because I feel like for us at least, we actually give utility to it you know, with the games. So it's not yeah. just cool. It's a picture of a pistol. You're like, well, that like, it kind of has to be represented in that way, but like, it's actually an in-game asset that you're using all the time right. and like, right. or can choose to use or not, you know, whether that's, um, I think land is probably the only one that may get a negative connotation. Cause that was like the big number one sale for a long time. People were like, cool, I have land. What do I do with it? And they're like, yeah. we're still working on it. <laughs> yeah. I remember people telling me that digital real estate was like the future and not to buy houses yeah. stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and, and, right. I think the thing is that people need to be very careful of, and I don't know that like a lot of games that are building web three have figured this out, is how do you take blockchain and NFTs and all these things that we talk about when we hold up, how do you enhance the web three user's experience while not taking away from the web two user's experience, right? Because a lot of you know a lot of what I've seen the implement, implementation start to look like is just a pay-to-win game. And that sucks for everybody involved, right? It's Unless you're the guy oh, yeah. who spent the money on, you know, the cool item, and then you can go one-shot everybody, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, I think that's the intricate and really tricky balance is, you know, you have to, how do you enhance it and make it worth buying and, and interesting enough? But how do you take, how do you not take away from somebody else's experience who might not have the money or might not have the means or the know-how to just set up a wallet, right? There's there's a lot of complexity with, you know, answering that question and um, a lot of unknowns. It, it could be a money thing. It could be a, a know-how thing. It could be a capability thing, you know, um, hardware. Like there's so many things that work against Web3, right? So most of your people, and like this is even true in our community because we went to trade shows and that's how we picked up our community. Um, but most people, who are going to play your game are probably not going to be playing the web three version. So how do you still build something that's, you know, equally as enticing? And that takes a lot of balancing, a lot of tweaking and a lot of economy redesign, you know, to the point where you're sick of thinking about it, but you have to keep thinking about it. Right. Because that's ultimately the name of the game for anybody is if 
if it's a pay to win game and it's not fun, um, you know, it's, you're just, you're just gonna, you're prolonging your death as a game. So, um, which doesn't sound very like appealing to me. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and two things related to that. So one, I will say you're totally right because I feel like that's one of the biggest problems with, um, um, Deos is it's all Web3 fo- like think about this if you're not a Web3 participant in the Deo you get no voters say in where the future of the mm-hmm. game goes whatever's being voted on so some of the traditional gamers would be like I'd really like to see this come and they're like well if you didn't you know get a wallet and join the Deo I don't know how to do that sorry you don't have a say and so that's something I've, I've noticed where I'm like that could be a big let out or loss mm-hmm. for a lot of people who want to have a say um, and that could be you know that could easily be solved with something maybe as simple as like a Google form or something for like hey if you don't if you're not voting in the day, like fill out this Google form and tell us like it's the same questions. Like you just don't have to like stake or validate or vote whatever the way you're there. That day I was doing it. Yeah. Um. And so I always think that's interesting. And then too, with everything you discuss about what you feel like a lot of Web3 games are missing of, you know, making that experience um, like you discussed, really, it's it's full send into Web3 and almost not intentionally forget about the traditional Web2 people. And it's like, well, they just if they get left behind to a point, they go, well, the game's getting updated for these other people. It's still the same for me since day one. Like, I'm just not interested anymore. If you're allowed to reveal it, is there anything like y'all at Metalcore are trying to do to make sure that that stays as even keel as it can be? You know, I understand if Web3 is like 10 or 25% above the traditional, but at least like, you know, we're not talking like 50, 75% ahead of it, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I, for us, everything that will eventually be an NFT or like is currently an NFT, which is just our characters, right? We haven't sold vehicles yet or we haven't distributed vehicles. Um, it, everything that you can buy as like an on-chain asset, you're also going to be able to make as an off-chain asset, right? It's just a matter of like, what's the time difference in that? You know, could you go on a secondary marketplace and craft a really cool mech or a really cool plane or buy a really cool plane or mech or anything, right? Hundred percent, you can do that through like in-game means. Could you also get that same thing that exists as an off-chain asset? Yeah, hundred percent, right? So, um, you know, I think for for us, we preview Web three as a way to, um, you know, I mean, if you have the means, like, can you save yourself a little bit of time? And I mean, I think you and I probably understand this like super well because, like, you know, I I just I'm playing like uh wrath of the lich king well uh wow right now but i didn't play the burning crusade re-release right so i didn't really want to like i was looking at it and i was like man i want to play wrath super bad but i don't want to go from like one to 70 right well conveniently or 80 conveniently like they i could buy the version of the game that had a skip to 70 so i only got to experience like the wrath elements right and so (laughs) um and you know for me had that not existed, I just wouldn't have played the game, right? So, sure, you know, Blizzard, EA, you know, Microsoft, whoever owns them now, right? Very good method on their part to get me back as a user um, because it allowed me to skip the line a little bit. And that's, I think, how we're viewing, um, one of the ways we're viewing Web3 is like, can you just get this, you know, did you, somebody like run by and their mech was just way cooler than yours and, you know, they outplayed you or whatever and you saw what they had, like, can you get a version of that? Yes, but... Could you also just in time craft that? Yeah, you could do that too. So if you don't want to spend any money and you, you're really good at farming and you know like which areas have better drop rates and all these things, you can just make the same thing and, and it'll exist as a Web2 version of it. Well, and it sounds like it's like skip the line too in the sense of not 
pay an outrageous price to skip the line. It's like there's obviously, you know, if it's going to be a, a standalone, I totally get like if we're talking like DLC or standalone game, like a version of it, you're like, well, we're going to for this benefit of you not having to grind. I mean, I, I've never I'll be honest. I only played WoW in like sixth and seventh grade and I was not that good. I didn't have anybody to play with. So I fell out of it. So I don't know how long it would take you to realistically like grind to get to that level. I assume quite some time. Wow. Yeah. So I yeah. totally see the benefit as an adult now of being like, oh, I can just come in at 70. That sounds awesome. How much how much extra is it? Because like it could be like thirty dollars extra. Be like that's gonna save me way more time. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't yeah, want to grind that far. Well. Yeah, you're so doing I, that I, math of like yeah. I make this much an hour. Oh, that's like an hour worth of my time or whatever, you know, then yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, so I, I totally get that. Just like um I can totally see how um and that that's obviously like it probably gets trickier depending on how you do that and the way you do that, obviously, versus somebody going, oh, this is just a cash grab versus like a realistic like solution to a problem of like you said, you're like, I probably just wouldn't have played the game because you're like, I don't not somebody could be, argue be like, yes, could I have made the time? Sure, you'd be like, but I don't I didn't want to have to make the time like I wanted to be able to just enjoy the game as a user. And like if I'm paying for it, like I hold the freedom to be able to choose where I spend my money. And decide what games I want to spend. And I totally get it. You would have been like, I would have just found another game, talked about yeah. my time, because it wouldn't have been worth my time. And so right. I think that is, I think that is a good thing you're talking about going forward of finding that like healthy balance for users to understand like where where it stays balanced for people who realistically don't have that time. And yeah. I think that is, I think that's always been a difficult uh, road to navigate. Probably, gosh, since. Because I think the road that it most easily navigated to was pay to pay to play. Like you know, yeah. like I think about I think about COD, where somebody could be like, I haven't, you know, you still have to have some skill, but realistically, like if you're just buying certain skin packs all the time, or if you're buying, you know, certain cheat technology, you know, if you're doing certain things, you can just go and you'd be like, yeah, I just want to play and win, and I pay for all this extra stuff so I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't really care about like. <laughs> You're like the people who are really grinding all day are like this sucks. Like I'm actually trying to play and get better and get good. You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think having a, having an answer for those people to be all on the same level playing field is is the answer to that, right? And so, um, which is a very hard thing to do. And you know, the, the question then becomes, what is the the time value of money otherwise spent on just acquiring that asset right but i mean i don't know we have some like absolute freaks in our community who just like love farming and grinding and stuff who've actually been able to like craft like way cooler stuff than you can currently buy right so you know there there's a huge balancing effort that goes along with that but you know um and then you know the the the, you know the kind of last point to that is like how do you how do you monetize a user that's maybe willing to spend money on your game, but doesn't want to do the Web3 monetization methods, right? Doesn't want to focus on NFTs, right? And how do you get them to also be like a paying customer? Because then at the end of the day, and it always sounds dirty and people who are like gamers, I was like, oh man, they're talking about monetization again, but like we're all businesses, right? We all we all need to make money. And so, um, you know, I think that's going to be the the real magic or the, the companies that, that do well in this space are going to be, you know, those are the questions that they need to answer, right? How do you how do you balance like the paying Web three user versus like the non paying user? How do you still give that non paying user a good experience? And then that person who exists in the middle, what options do you have that exist for them? And you know that can make them, you know, happy and 
you know, an, an equally competitive player in a game that's all about competition, right? You're, you're fighting for a planet. So, um, you know, that's, it's a lot of questions to answer. Um, I think we're on a really good path to that, though. I think we're like, and some of these things will be coming out in the next couple of months. And, um, you know, I think we, we have found a, a kind of happy middle ground and all that. Um, you know, it's just, it's balancing the game to, to let those exist all, you know, at the same time, which is, uh, you know, it's very difficult to do. If you played in our last play test and got blown up by one of the like laser snipers, you know, <laughs> we're, we're clearly still figuring some of that stuff out. Yeah. There's always, there's always balancing issues. Um, never intentional, I will say. Um, yeah. It just naturally happens as the game goes on. I don't think I've ever seen a game that has PVP where after the fact that developers go, I didn't think somebody was going to do that. And they go, we got to fix that. Like, so, yeah. and I, I always love it. That that's how it ends up. Never. Somebody's like, yeah, we knew that was kind of buggy. We just kind of were hoping nobody was going to figure it out. And they <laughs> did. So now we have to fix it. It's always well, like, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's always that somebody figures it out and they're like, what the heck dude? Like, yeah. we got to fix that. That's, that's so like, that's, they're just cheesing people left and right now. Like, right. Yeah, and and you know, anti-cheat. I think in Web three, when there's a, a an aspect of monetization, is going to be you know whoever develops like a great anti-cheat system is going to be the person that makes the most money, right? <laughs> that business that comes out that that can prevent a lot of this stuff is is going to do very well for themselves. But you see, the moment you have like any sort of competition in Web three where there's like a monetary giveaway, everybody's trying to figure out. Like, and undead blocks had this happen, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know. You, you do a tournament and you're only giving away like 500 bucks or something, but people, that means a lot to somebody and they'll find yeah. any way that they can. So, um, so, so that's really important. The other thing just from the development side is you, you fall into like these traps, right? Of not, I don't want to even call them traps, but like we QA test our game all the time. So every week, you know, two or three times a week, if not more, where we take like an hour out of everybody's day. So even beyond our QA department and we go and we just play the game and we go like, you know, test the new features that are added, make sure they're working. And we then have like an external group of testers um, who are just fans of like what we do. We call them Guild 369 and then they test it. Right. And then we release that out to everybody to play. And from like our standpoint, you always kind of know like what's being worked on. So, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go run here. And they said not to run here. So I'm not going to run over there because they said that area is not done yet. Yeah. And then, and, but you realize like, I know not to run over there, but somebody who is like testing this for the first time, who's not in these conversations doesn't know that. So like in like May, we did a play test and um, we thought the build was great. Right. And then we put the build out for the public. Everybody gets them. And like within the first 15 minutes, there's like a critical like game breaking bug because like one guy decided to like run up a mountain that we hadn't like, <laughs> thoroughly tested and we were like dude why would you even try to do that like none of us even thought like let's go run up that mountain manually i'm like dude you had planes you could have taken to the top of that but this guy just decided and it totally just like crashed the game and so it's funny because you never know how people are going to break your game because like you know as uh when you're making it and like we always fall into like yeah I know there's nothing on that mountain because I listen to them. I listen to the game designers. I listen to the engineers. I listen to everybody who's like putting this mountain into the game. They say there's nothing on this mountain. So I'm not even going to bother trying. But somebody else who's playing it for the first time doesn't know that. And they might be like, dude, there's got to be a treasure up there. I'm going <laughs> to hoof it up there. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, it was funny. And like, it was just, you never know 
and like all the planning we had done for that we thought we were like we felt so good about the build right and then like within 15 minutes it's offline and we're like dude what happened and like one of our server guys like yeah some guy ran up this hill dude i don't know it kind of broke everything (laughs) (laughs) having been the guy who would look at the mountain and go there must be something good up there and and making the effort i can totally see where he's coming from but then i can i can't even imagine being um on the development side of you just that's exactly what i'm talking about though where they're just like why did this guy run up this fucking mountain dude and you're <laughs> yeah. like he just he just really wanted to man he thought there was something great up there and you're like god like so it is it is always really funny to hear that oh yeah god that's hilarious. And it's like yeah it was like a pvp test too so like down at the base of that mountain there's like planes flying by you know if you ever seen any like the promo shoots of metalcore it's, it's really action-packed right there's like mechs duking it out there's guys in planes there's tanks you know and just yeah, one guy is just like, I'm gonna force gump it up this mountain. <laughs> he gets like halfway and just everything fell apart. And uh yeah, it's just yeah, I, I had never seen that before, you know, because I'm still pretty new to gaming, right? So sure. Um, you know, having that happen, I was like, Oh man, like you just you can plan like until you're blue in the face and you know, there's gonna be something. And then you, you see like, you know, I always when I was playing WoW or playing Dota or anything, you see like, man, how does like valve fall into this where um you know they have all the money in the world like how have they released something that has like game breaking bugs in it? and i mean it just happens to everybody right and you know you just happen to catch them but it's always, always like funny ways to break something right sometimes it helps like uh you know the the world right like the the famous wow story that of like the plagues that were, that were happening in the cities right and that ended up being used on like COVID modeling tests when COVID was first breaking. So <laughs> it was like right? game no, bug. totally. Yeah. Well, and sometimes like game breaking bugs lead to like certain mods for people too. They're yeah. just like, or I mean, when I think about, I always think it's so funny that um, just like the amount of Breath of the Wild bugs that people would find, like with the in-game physics that Nintendo's like, I mean, we could patch them, but like, it's who cares? Like, it's more fun to watch people do crazy stuff with it yeah. versus like, in tears of the kingdom when like i'm sure you saw like some of the item duplication glitches like they they nip that in the bud real quick they're like, yeah no. they're like you're not going to break the game like that they're like but if you're going to do some crazy backflip sword slash to ju- like jet you halfway across the map sure like that's funny to us like so it yeah. is funny to see that like they can kind of pick and choose what they want but i did hear an interesting um like one of my fr- i guess actually my first guest on the podcast did make a really interesting discussion to go back to what you're talking about with cheat where he uh anti-cheat where he was talking about he he thought an interesting thing that could go forward and who knows if he's working on this secretly now was he was like, I could see, um, he's like, if you get the model right for AI, he's like, and having it as like a referee in PVP matches, like I actually could see it doing really well for detecting anti-cheat and that way still allowing instead of somebody being able to get away with it, they would just be like, no, you have some sort of like, you know, anti-cheat uh, or you have some sort of cheat like firmware installed. Like basically like, I think the way he worded it, he's like, it would run through the whole code of the game plus like your player profile. And if there was any anomalous code, he's like, that was basically not recognized. It would just boot you from the game. And you'd be like, you keep trying to join matches, but the referee would just be like, no, like you're not allowed to. He's like, until you either remove that. So you wouldn't get like a perma ban, but they'd be like, no, like we, we have a thing in place. And I thought that was a really interesting concept because mm-hmm. I'd never thought of AI playing like the referee portion in like a yeah. PVP game. So I don't know, but you're totally right. When somebody can develop the anti-cheat, um, in web three and I, f- I feel like somebody has to be working on it you know i can't oh, imagine sure. like yeah. from somebody who's already done it with traditional game it isn't isn't going to just come in it's probably the bigger thing is just going to be 
um, convincing some of these game studios to like want to utilize it or buy yeah. it, you know, because I assume it's going to be like a software as a service sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're either going to be big enough that they're like, hell yeah, we want to use it. We can afford it. They're like, yeah, we're not like big enough. We don't have enough player count. Like we can't afford you or we just don't see a need for it, you know? So yeah. it'll be interesting when it's finally like a widespread thing in the industry at least. But I, I don't know how far off we are from that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a there's a whole Mount Everest between uh, where we're at currently and, and and just adoption, right? So, you know, I think there's there's a long way to go to just have the player base that justifies it. You know, I think you know most games now are probably comfortable self policing, but yeah, the moment you start doing and and you see how fickle like the Web three space is, man. Like, you know, the moment you do something like you forget to somebody add somebody's like wallet to a whitelist like then they're on twitter just like having a meltdown at you yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. like i knew these guys were scum and you're just like <laughs> yeah. dude it was an honest mistake i'm adding like a thousand five hundred people to this whitelist i'm sorry instead right. of just opening a ticket in the discord and being like hey i didn't get added they're like oh yeah i'll just add you right now dude like <laughs> yeah yeah dude, yeah instead it's like oh i knew you were a fraud and it's like dude uh, just a guy you know i'm just right just one man um right but yeah, no, I think like, yeah, that's, it's just going to be, and I don't know who, who, who answers that or, or what, you know, company provides that, but you know, it's a, you know, there's a lot of problems that I think we're all trying to solve now, but you know, what are the problems that are going to exist in a year from now when, you know, Metalcore does come out and Shrapnel comes out and Godzilla, you know, off the grid comes out and, you know, wildcard and, and people find, you know, ways to work around that because they can win a tournament that, you know, is run every week for a thousand bucks and then it's all distributed by smart contracts so you don't even have somebody on the other end of that pressing like yes yeah, send money right it's yeah we all want the the smart contract implementations of those things but there's a whole bunch of problems that exist you know between where we're currently at and and you know where when you know those things are all happening and i'm sure somebody's working on it and that person will do very well for themselves i would totally agree so <laughs> our, um y'all are on Metalcore's on Polygon, correct? We are on, um, we will be ultimately on ZKEVM. This is our, our going to be our home. So the immutable Polygon kind of joint venture. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Which, is there a reason you, I mean, because I, th- I think Polygon's doing really well in gaming right now because, you know, when I think about how everybody was on Ethereum and you were just like, high gas fees is just the price you want to play if you want to play the game and all that. And then as soon as Polygon integrated, it was like, oh, now you can just pay literally pennies or less than pennies on the dollar to mint your nfts and do all this stuff and it was just really the um it seemed like the the move that was necessary that really like kind of catapulted a lot of stuff in that in that sector but i'm curious um is there a reason y'all decided that you wanted to go with the z zkvm zkvm yes (laughs) yeah um i mean you know i think when you look at what what stops somebody from wanting to participate in web3 gas fees are one right Mm -hmm. wallets probably the second security actually probably number one i would i would say but all those things kind of you know exist as um friction points right so with immutable and zkvm kind of you know coming like on the way and if you played you know in metalcore when you connected your wallet i mean you use passport right to me that was no more difficult than playing madden and ea says like hey do you want to sign up for an ea account or do you just want to play right or like you said do you want to join the bethesda club mm-hmm. right so um for us ease of onboarding is like 
really, really important. And Passport is a, a huge answer to that. Um, you know, with ZKVM and, and uh, Immutable and Polygon putting their heads together to have a, a chain solution for games is huge, right? To, you know, eliminates gas fees um, as much as possible, right? And, you know, currently, um, Immutable doesn't have gas fees, right? If you use Polygon, it's it's very um, it's very cheap to use Polygon. But you know, with them kind of building something together, you know, it's two good teams that are building good tooling. And um, you know, for for us, like I don't want anybody who's like a game developer to also build like wallet solutions, right? And I wouldn't want people who are building wallet solutions to to be my game devs, right? They're just totally different problems to solve. And so for us, you know, when when Immutable kind of came to the table, they, you know, they they were okay handling the blockchain elements, and it allows us to just focus on the game. So it's a really good mm -hmm. partnership that we have with them, and a really good just you know, um, anytime you kind of start to look at a publisher, it's a marriage, right? It's a it's totally a relationship that both sides have to be all in on and, and immutable is so um and they they just they cover some of our blind spots when it comes to like blockchain and, and all that stuff so um you know it means our guys can can work on the games and the servers and you know coding the things that that are important to us and they can cover the things that they're experts at well yeah and i imagine too that you all aren't like um chain agnostic to one specific place you know like i'm sure as time develops if if it ends up, you know, eventually down the line, this what you've chosen now maybe isn't the best fit for what you want to do going forward. I I assume like most people I talk to are pretty much that way. They're like, this is kind of the best thing going right now, so we're happy to be a part of it. But if something develops that's in our better interest for our players in our game, like we're we're definitely open to the idea of shifting to you know whatever is different chain or different ideas. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think now Web three is in a funny place because like you have like fanboys of like polygon or immutable or you know avax or whatever and oh, i yeah. think you know when the masses come i don't think that's going to be a thing i think people are just going to like you know i don't i don't view any of them as the next like ea or the next bethesda right sure i think they're just good tooling and good homes so i think the you know yeah i don't i don't see games winning the ua or solving the ua problem via chains I think the teams around them will help a lot and immutable has a really good like marketing and publishing team so mm -hmm. that's that's a big thing right but i don't think that those users are coming to us because of any chain specifically i think they're coming because of the efforts that those teams are putting behind delivering our game right um i, I don't you know think we see a future where like ua is accomplished you know via chains but I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about that. And, and if it is, you know, everybody would be foolish not to, to look at that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, your, your standard user isn't going to care about what chain a game exists on unless it's, you know, really difficult to access. You know, if it's, if it's a pain in the ass to sign into that, trade something, then people will care. But it's, it's never going to be like, oh, sure, I'm glad that this game's on chain A because... You know, I'm all about chain A. It's it's just gonna be like, oh, it's, it's a cool game, it happens to be on here. Oh, and it's easy to use, like great. Or it's gonna be like, love this game, but this chain sucks. And you know, it's it sucks to the point where like I don't wanna use it. And and that problem's being solved. Yeah, I mean twofold to that. One, I think 
the only issue with like towards the tail end, what you said there, people go in like, I don't want to use this or that chain. It'll be probably more so when they sign up and like, this is already working itself out, but it'll get seamless as time goes on. Is that um, like maybe somebody sets up an AVAX wall and then for this game, it's a polygon wall. And they're like, I don't want to set up a whole new wall and then fund it and then like do all this stuff. So it'll be like, there'll be need to be a really nice seamless integration of where they'll be like, hey, just so you know, this is actually funded on Polygon, you're on AVAX. We're happy to take care of all the background stuff and just make it work for you. And I think yeah. people will be like, cool, yeah, like they don't care. And I think it's almost going to come down to the, um, like the chains are going to take this major backseat approach where people who are working on the games know about it. It's almost like when I think about it as a kid, when like before a game starts, it shows like every company involved, like, oh, Cryware, like Dolby Atmos. You're like, this yeah. means nothing to me. I don't care. I just want to play the game. So I could yeah. see something like that popping up where they're like happily like on like Polygon or Avax. People are like, I don't care. I just want to play the game, dude. So I feel like yeah. it's going to like that marketing and advertising is always going to be there, but it's going to be like the developers, the marketers, um, people who are actually in the game, like are going to know about it. Be like, oh yeah, like we use Avax for some things, Polygon for others, or like we're strictly Polygon because it works for us for this or, you know, whatever it comes down to. Like, so I, I think you're right, um, but I think that's that'll be an interesting thing to see going forward where it's just kind of like a flash beforehand because like it's different now with like game companies where like, you know, whenever you play anything by Bandai Namco, Bandai Namco's insignia flashed on the screen and people eventually recognize it to go, huh, I play a lot of games by Bandai Namco apparently, so I must like them as a development company. Yeah. I could just see it doing something like that eventually. Uh, yeah. That, that's kind of where I see it going. Yeah, yeah. I, I No, I totally agree. I think, yeah, like, I found myself in that with Naughty Dog, like back in the day, like love the Jack and Daxter games, right? And yeah. from that, I still love everything that Naughty Dog puts out. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think to, um, yeah, to, to add to that, you know, 100%, I, I see that as the future where you care more about the team for, you know, I always like tell any chain that listens, which like some of them are a little stubborn, um you know but when they're because we get we get we've been approached by everybody who's doing a chain everybody who's doing a subnet everybody's doing sure a subnet, they've all sure. asked us right of course my thing with them is always like you being a fast and efficient and like a good chain is the lowest thing that i can ask for at this point that's a, at a minimum you need to have that you need to be those things right mm-hmm. so when people kind of approach us and they go like well we're fast and we're good and you know it's cheap to use and all these things i'm like yeah i mean you know most of the chains are are all those things right so it's beyond that like and i think the the chain that will get the best amount of or the highest amount of users will be you know the chain that also has good publishing teams right good marketing teams good you know a game or a chain who has a team behind it who can help the dev studios take the game to market successfully and have that be a success and and say like hey you know we we launched Metalcore to this many users and has this many DAU or MAU and this much spend every month. So, you know, for future games, they'll be able to use that as, as a success story. But you know, I think that the chains win by what they can do beyond just being a chain. Because like just being being a good chain is is a minimum. So and, and <laughs> you know right. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, continue. You you're totally right though. I, I agree with mm-hmm. you. It's like everything you're saying, they're like, hey, we're fast, we're efficient, we're cheap use us and you're like so is everyone right now so mm-hmm. like i'm not not to like negate what you're doing but like what else you got because like if that's if that's your sales pitch like sorry that's everybody's sales pitch right now yeah. it, it's and, it's almost like going to a cell phone company you're like hey we're fast you get great coverage everywhere you're like that's what everybody's claiming so like what what are you gonna are you gonna give me a new phone for free or are you gonna give me a cheaper phone plan like what's the enticing thing to make me want to go with your service versus another yeah and you know 
right now it's it's uh you know it's either the team or it's the money that you can provide right and i mean but i mean just as of like last week it's today's october 16th last week a major chain you know pitched me on doing something with them and that was their thing they were like well we're not gonna pay any money we can't guarantee a sale of any assets that we ever do but we'll help you like code a smart contract and i'm like man i i could get that done in like 15 minutes through like a friend, you know, so yeah, I mean, or just it, someone on your team, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. And so, you know, there's still like chains that are looking to onboard games with with just that, right? And sure, I mean, you know, that it's it's unfortunate, but I think people, and I think the whole Web three space got into this problem. Like, actually, shipping a game is just super hard for oh, a yeah. lot of different reasons, right? Yeah, and so anything that like an infrastructure layer can do to help a game, you know, ship and, and, and go to market is, is going to be huge. And long way of saying immutable does a lot of that for us. So it's a huge, that great publishing team behind immutable and, you know, they, they solve a lot of things. So that's kind of where like the, the transition to ZK ABM came from, but you know, with game development, like you never, you never plant your feet in because it's, it's too dynamic. So, you know, sure. So yeah, I mean, I totally see a future where every game is is probably seamlessly multi-chain, you know. Yeah. So that's what I imagine too. Well, so mm-hmm. we kind of touched on this earlier, but like, you know, we touched on some challenges, like you know, like when you were going to that one gaming expo and you were like, would have loved to like talk about like the NFT integration. They're like, please don't mention that. Like, we're not about yeah. that. Or like, maybe they didn't want the bad press associated with it. So I mean, like, if you're allowed to share, like, what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced in terms of developing and uh, developing and promoting Metalcore? Yeah, yeah, um, man, it's been there's been a lot of things, right? Yeah, I mean, just the I'd say currently the reception to what is the appetite for Web three is is huge, and when you can speak to an individual, and we've done this a lot, except we've been at every major show you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can explain the value add of blockchain and you can get kind of past like, hey, this is a bad word. Everybody, like almost unanimously, I've had like one guy ever just continue to like argue with me. And I was like, hey, dude, you know, honestly, like the game's just not going to be for you. That's like <laughs> one guy ever I've, have I had that with. Yeah. Everybody else I've talked to, which has been like hundreds of people, um, you know, it's been like, hey, I see how this could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. The one of the big challenges is like, how do you just do that at mass? Because I can't talk to, you know, 100,000 people all back to back, right? So how do you get that out in a way that, um, you know, how, how do I say to to people kind of at scale what, I, what you and I have been talking about for the last hour, right? That this is just going to be a fun game to play and there's going to be some additional elements to it. But, you know, you... You can do those if you want. And if you don't want to, there's still answers to those things, right? Um, that's not going to be a game-breaking addition if you don't partake in, in those things, right? Um, so that's a unique thing to solve. Um, and, you know, I think we are slowly, like, you see the space maturing and with its messaging outward. I think, you know, Off the Grid is is the best example of this no mention of nfts anywhere we all know that like yeah they have a whole subnet with validators and all these things are very on-chain game but a lot of on-chain aspects but none of their messaging forward has been that they have like one little thing on an faq that says this is the blockchain optimal game um so i think as an industry we're, we're learning a lot of that. Um, 
beyond that, shipping games is hard, man. <laughs> and building in public is really hard, right? So, um, you know, like I said, with our, our last test, um, we put in a bunch of vehicles, all of them. The QA tested them. We did everything we were supposed to do. And we just kind of missed that one vehicle, one variant of the vehicles. Every Each vehicle has like four or five different versions of that vehicle. One variant of one vehicle had like a two or three shot weapon on it, right? And people found that out. And like the last day of the play test, lo and behold, everybody was in that. And they all kind of stacked on the same faction. Yeah. So if you were not on that faction, you just couldn't do anything, right? Um, and when you build in public, you just have to own those things, right? We had a lot of people who were like, dude, this is like, I had so many DMs, people being like, man, this was like, I had so much, we did a week long play test, right? And everybody mm. was like, dude, six six days of this were great. And day seven really sucked because like everybody figured out this like game breaking thing. Yeah. And so when you build and and you think about the traditional like way of building a game where we're in like year two of development, I mean, most people probably still wouldn't even know this, this game would still have a code name, right? It would still be Project X by whatever studio, right? And, um, but, you know, like 12 months into development, we showed off like a, a first version and a first playable and people, people hold you to a standard as if, because they're giving you the most invaluable resource, like their time, and they're going to hold you up against like an Assassin's Creed or uh, a Madden or Call of Duty, right? And they're going to go like, well, that's smooth. And what I played with you guys now has a bunch of bugs in it, right? So Building in, in public is 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 a different challenge. I think we're all up for it. You know, I, I enjoy doing things publicly. I I enjoy like building communities and things like that. Um, but you know, it does add a different level of complexity to to building a game because you're 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 not just developing and shipping. You're developing, shipping something, getting feedback on that, iterating upon that, and repeating that cycle over and over whereas you know there's a there's a book uh called blood sweat and pixels if you ever read it talks about how like the first 80 percent of game development is just kind of a jumbled mess and a nightmare and then like right before the game gets shipped everybody's like dude this game sucks like we don't know what's going on and then it all just comes together finally like polished you know time comes and the game really comes together well you know doing things in web3 and doing things publicly you're doing that all like at the same time. So for the guys who are from like the web two space, it's totally new, a new challenge, just building publicly and then taking that feedback in and iterating upon that and polishing all kind of at the same time, as opposed to, you know, putting everything, putting all the salad ingredients in and then mixing it up at the end. And, and now you have a cool salad, right? You're kind of doing those things, you know, all throughout the, the game, the, like the d- development cycle. And it's, sure. it's just different. So it's, 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 I think we're getting used to it for sure. Um, at first it was really hard to figure out like what, what's the cadence of delivering new experience versus, you know, polishing up on what was just experienced. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's taken us like, we've been a public project for, you know, 18 months or so now, and it, we're, we're just now starting to figure it out. So, you know, I hope hope a lot of people that come next have learned from us. <laughs> well, and I I think yeah I you know I 
again, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels is on my read list. You're like the fourth person to recommend it to me. It's so, a really good and, book. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I've heard. And it's just there's no excuse at this point why I haven't read it. After the third person, I was like, you know what? There's just either um, I need to get it on my Kindle or just buy a physical copy. Um, so I'm gonna read that to heart now. But yeah, I, I I have heard that with um a lot of people. It's like weird how. They'll be like, well, in traditional gaming, you may have somebody who just does this or just does that. And they're like, since we don't have that much money or we're just kind of like figuring out how to do a lot of it. Like, um, I, I had, um, what am I blanking now? Oh, uh, the people from Last Remains at Earn Alliance on and how they were talking about how they were like, yeah, you know, if we had gone the traditional route of level design and hired someone out to just do a bunch of level design for a totally different area, they're like, you know, it takes time, it takes money, it takes cost. They're like, we ended up deciding to just go out and, you know, take all the photos of our own actual city here in Hong Kong and make that the level for the design. And they're like, so that was really cool because we got to not only do a place that's, you know, unique and home to us, but like we, we were able to keep everything in house for that. And so I thought that was really interesting because I was like, you know, I, I'm sure there's been at least some traditional game that's done that, but I couldn't think of any. Or I didn't know of any at the time. So yeah. I thought it was really interesting with things like that or just, you know, again, as I'm sure as you know how. The, it's really cool to see in traditional gaming, the team size for some of these games is getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on obviously the graphical styling and all that. But I mean, if you want to just, you know, we can always talk about Undertale literally being just Toby Fox and then like his assistant to help him with like doing like pixel sprite and art design. But otherwise, he's like the dude from top to bottom. He's like, oh, yeah, I do the music. I do all the animation. I do the level design. He's like doing everything. And people get mad when they're like, why did it take you three years to release like a six hour pixel game? And you're like, well, when it's like a one man team, that's pretty damn impressive dude so yeah. i don't know what you're complaining about or yeah. a cult of the lamb it was like four guys so you're just yeah. like double night same thing yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. so it's just it's crazy to see um like just like i can totally see how even just in web3 like that's gotta be a whole nother beast tackle when it, when somebody maybe somebody who's used to that is like oh so there's nothing different this is how i've been developing games anyways versus people who are like this is not how I've been used to developing games. And like you said, getting up to that new cadence of figuring out like, well, how is this going to work in a timely manner where we can still drive interest and hype without driving FOMO, without losing people along the way while still delivering a good game that's going to be fun to play. Yeah. And a lot of times people are just like, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. Let's just start doing stuff because yeah. that's better than just waiting and trying to nail it all down on a chalkboard. Yeah. And if you're like a mid-sized studio like us, it's really hard to do you know, to build the future aspects of the game and polish or like iterate upon current things that people are playing, right? So you, yeah. you kind of have to decide. We learned this by doing like, we were doing like a play test like every weekend for like a month. And our dev team was finally like, yo, guys, like, we can't do this. Like, this is, <laughs> if we're not, we're getting like nothing done other than like being able to fix really small portions. So we need to kind of go to the drawing board and rethink what's our, our cadence going to be. And, you know, because of that, I think we're, we're at a better stage, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's expensive too, right? Like you talked about like, you know, the money that, that games have uh, or the studios have. And, you know, I think like one of the things that really worries me, right. Is that I don't think most of these games raised enough money to do what they want to do. And I don't think they oh, knew that. Yeah. And 100%. <laughs> yeah. The person who looks like a genius right now, right now is Gabe uh, from Limit Break, right? Because he raised like a ton of money. I mean, he has yeah. more money than God right now, right? <laughs> and uh, like, you know, but he's there's no doubt that Gabe is going to be able to build exactly what he envisioned and ship all those things and have a healthy UA budget. So, you know, one of the things 
that I worry about for the space is like, if we're in this prolonged drought, which I think we are going to be, um, I don't see like venture money returning in the way that it was here before, even when the market picks up. Um, because it's gaming is just not a quick return, right? But like funding a, a DEX or something is is way faster than, you know, um, being able to like build a game and, and then take that and ship that and hope that the shot on goal hits and, you know, um, so, you know, that's, that's my other area of concern is, you know, did, did, did all of these titles raise enough to, to do everything that they need to? And I think the answer is, is no. And I don't think we've seen a ton of them fold yet. I think we're just starting to see like the first, you know, um, the first ones start to shut like ascenders just kind of sunset the project. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of that, unfortunately. Yeah, time will definitely tell on that one. I so I always took it as it seemed like with the last bull run, I always wondered how much of it was investors versus people who made a healthy profit and were just like, you know, I would rather instead of day trading <laughs> crypto stuff, I would rather be working on something else like this. But I think also there was a lot of people who made a lot of money in the last bull run and just wanted to throw it back into the community but didn't know where and with web3 gaming popping up people who were gamers and interested were like oh this is actually perfect because like i don't really get what a, a deo is or like i don't really know what DeFi. like they're just like you know i threw some money in something and it happened to work out really well for me versus people who are like i knew exactly what i was doing i knew the moment i got to this percent margin i was cashing out and like yeah i know how to minimize like my capital gains tax and all Dude. that jazz like yeah <laughs> i think there's like a real big thing you're the first person ever like said this to me and that's a concept i really agree with i think like if i can really like dumb it down people who are new money and came into that money from crypto absolutely wrecked themselves the people who are yeah. disciplined and who like were used to making 10 percent a year because that, that's what the stock market returns traditionally yep. those people did very very well for themselves because they had a plan and they you know were able to execute that i don't know like one guy in particular um who was exactly that like he's the most boring investor and just put like a small percentage of his portfolio in into crypto and it hit mm -hmm. and he like actually just took money off the table and was like yeah no i made a ton of money i'm gonna um peace out from this <laughs> you know and uh <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know everybody else i knew was like new money like you know just had been working and stuff and minted an ape or you know had a you know a, a zuki or a doodle or something and we're just like yep this is this can only go one way and it's right. up maybe <laughs> yeah they're and, on the, uh, they're on the hype train the fomo train and unfortunately yeah. that when that train is coming into the station you miss the chance to get on long ago dude yeah oh man so much like some cost fallacy right of people being like yes. well it used to be 20 ETH. now it's only 15 i'm just gonna hold on for a little bit more and, and then now you're at four right so yes yeah, exactly yeah that capitulation is huge right so yeah so there, there's no way of knowing with a lot of it you know i um I think we all know that like the main industry leader in terms of crypto is pretty much always going to be Bitcoin unless something suddenly dethrones it. And if we really want to get into the the philosophy of it, that's because as far as we know, that's really the only one that, you know, it's been the longest standing. It's the only one out there that doesn't have, as far as we know, like an actual leader or its leader is dead or detached from it. So it feels, I think a lot of people are like, oh, it feels like it's truly run by the community and the people. And then after that, you have Ethereum, which, you know, Ethereum essentially powers the computer, the programming of all of crypto out there. And I think three now is just like USDT, any of the, you know, stable coins, which for a lot of investment bankers, people of that nature. So, um, yeah, USDT I don't know. Is three, yeah. 
Yes, there you go. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting to see how, um, you know, like I, I always laugh and I am by no means a Bitcoin maxi at all, but I always laugh seeing these people were like, people are like Bitcoin is dead. And I'm like, you kind of don't want Bitcoin to be dead because then the whole system, we don't know. It may do totally fine, but I was like, it, it may collapse in on itself like a black hole. Who knows if people, there's just no way of knowing, you know, whether that's fortunately or unfortunately. But Yeah. And, you know, I think like, and I talk a lot about this publicly, right, is like the crypto and Web3 space like need to mature. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just a lot of people that don't know that if Bitcoin collapses, like I think it was. You know, during the last bull run, if you were invested into ETH or Solana or anything, it was, it was really interesting or it was a cool thing to say to be like, yeah, Bitcoin's not king anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want that <laughs> because if Bitcoin collapses, like everything goes with it. So, Seriously. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, there's just a, a young investor. I mean, I'm like 31, right? So I'm not that old, but I'm a little bit older than I think that's of a lot of people that are in the space right now. Sure. And um yeah, I think that there's there's still just a level of like, and I don't mean this offensively. I think there's there's just a, a lack of experience when it comes to, um, you know, like what to do with your money and and how to protect that. And you know, I think that it it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about um, about like yeah, you miss a you miss somebody's wallet for something, and then like they flip out about it, right? And um, and I think the space is maturing, and I think this run however long it lasts, this like kind of like drought that we're in, it's going to make people a lot more savvy for like the future. Um, yes. You know, it sucks to see people get caught up in it now. You know, I mean, this is like the second cycle I've been through. So I, I Same. was selling things along the way and I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is cool. I'm going to, you know, just, just pocket this money and put it in like a, like a high yield savings account or something. And yeah, everybody was calling me crazy for doing it at the time, but I'm yeah, super grateful that I did. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, and I think it'll be, I think it's a, it's crazy too, because even though we're in this um, bear market, there's still, um, there are still some companies out there, you know, raising, um, their, uh, their VSC funding. I mean, um, well, what were they before? They just rebranded to games.gg. Oh, yes. Polkastarter just had no issue getting, getting funding. Um, and you know, they're kind of like, uh, I don't want to call them a jack of all trades, but like they have more than they're more than just a gaming platform. Like they do a lot of like, um, you know, they do a lot of journalism. They do a lot of outreach. They do a lot of marketing for other people. So they have, they have their hand in a bunch of mixed bags, but I mean, yeah, you know, the idea of seeing some of these companies still being able to raise money in a bear market leads me to believe that. And I think I was reading a report too, that they were saying most web three funding comes from people who made money in web three, who want to put it back into the community, which is great. That's actually one of the, I'm sure there's real world investment um, like opportunities like that. But in terms of crypto, like my experience had always been until web, like getting into this was people just took the money and ran, you know, yeah, or they yeah. were like the money I made. They're like, well, now I can finally do what I always wanted to do, which was make that project or that thing. And it's like, well, I mean, I get how you felt you couldn't do it before. Like, I guess technically you can, but now that you have all this money. It definitely makes it easier. Sure. Like, right, so I get right. that. But yeah. so I always really like that, that it seems like a lot of people at least in the crypto blockchain community, like a lot of the people who made their money, they're like, no, like I value this way too much. Like, I don't want to see this go away. Like I'm, I'm happy to put the, the money right back in the pot to help like grow it and expand it. I mean, um, yeah. Balaji, he's got well. like, That's, he's got like, I'm part like, of the problem, got, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I get it. Will, it depends on you your know, level. Yeah. It depends on your level. Yeah. Like I would say if, if I was making millions and millions, I'd be like, Hell yeah, I'm gonna invest in some gaming studios, but I'm not. So maybe yeah, one yeah. day. But <laughs> yeah, next run. That, that that'll be our time. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, people like uh, Balaji, I um, can never pronounce his last name, who the, um, do you know of him? Balaji, oh, God, I remember. So he's the dude who, when he came out, he, um, he made the bet where he's just like, if Bitcoin goes to a million dollars, I'll like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and his whole thing, he went on a lot of interesting podcasts. He was, he claimed he just did that because he's like, oh, yeah, I burned a million to like tell you like the government's like printing trillions. Like he, he had a whole different agenda with that. But I know he's got something like close to 500 million reinvested back in like Web3. Yeah, so he he's, can altruistically burn a million dollars. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that was his whole thing is he's just like, I can afford to burn a million dollars. So I figured and I knew it would get a lot of press and attention. So why not do it? But yeah, it's yeah. just like people like that who it's just like, yeah, I could afford to do it too. You know, maybe yeah. maybe 500 million for him might be 500 for you or us. It's like, yeah. that's all I can afford to throw in, you know? So it's <laughs> like, I don't fault people going, well, what is someone going to do with $500 um, and just waiting or not doing anything? So I, I, I get it too. You got to take care of yourself first, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get to a point of excess yeah. and then give it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, one of the interesting things about like Pokestarter, you know, or now games GG, but yeah, I think they raised like two. I don't think they had trouble doing that. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think Pokestarter, had they done that, had they raised, you know, in 2021, I mean, that would have been like sure. a 15, $20 million raise. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of the interesting things. And, and they're like an awesome company. Like I know those guys super well, work with them a lot for, for, you know, a few different things. And, um, you know, they're solving like UA problems for games, like things that, you know, um, I, you know, I think Pokestarter will like in the next year be much more of a mainstream name for like the people that are paying attention to Web3 gaming because of what they do for people and, and for studios and games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, you know, when they raised two, I was like, man, I would have like thought that they would have raised, you know, Cause I still just, that, I think that was like the one for me where I was finally like, Oh, you know, it's, it's different right now. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like they, I totally would have valued, you know, or, or put them at like in the $10 million range. Um, and maybe they just didn't need it. I, I don't know. It's totally why it's totally um, realistic to think that they turned down a lot of money because, you know, you don't want to give up more than you have to. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, when, when they announced and they did the PR release of only of just two, um, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that just shows how dry it is right now, right? Exactly. Yeah. As I was, cause I would agree with you. Like, if it had been, you know, previous bullrun, I would have been like easily 15, 20 million for yeah. them, just for, just for the services they offer and what they do and how much I see them popping up all over the place with their partnerships and what they're doing. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. We won their uh, best FPS game last year at their award show, you know, uh, no big deal nice. or anything. Shamelessly plug it. No, that's great. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, honestly, you know, we talked a bit about like how you guys kind of have some plans to engage and grow your player community, but like, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be now. Maybe and maybe they're just like ideas on a chalkboard. But are there any like events or you know features that are really like you're you're trying to make them like really community driven, like in the pipeline? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, like we talked about this like the very beginning, but just the story and the overarching kind of um lore behind the game we want that to be community driven like we want you know the 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 big thing people always think about with us is like faction battles right and what is it what does the game feel like when i you know there's three factions kind of all competing for you know this this point on the map and being able to kind of tell that story in time with like events that are happening in the game you know is is a big dream of ours and just being able to let the community kind of own and um 
build like within the game to to shape what it becomes in in two years time right um that's super important to us i think you know is a you know when you just let the community drive where the game's going you know that that's really big for us um the other thing is is you know like all the play tests and stuff what the feedback we get is like super heard right because we can only like i was talking to you about you know a little bit ago but we can only do so much when we qa test the game and when you're in the development side or like I have some things in the game that are like my ideas. So those are like my babies and, and you, you fall in love with those. Right. And you think like, this is the coolest thing that's ever been implemented in gaming. <laughs> and sometimes it's just not, and it's really hard yeah. to hear that. It's really hard to like divorce your ideas. Right. Yeah. So it's really important when we get, and I mean, everything that is discussed like internally, when we do just like, you know, kind of like, um, idea sessions or storyboarding sessions or like whiteboard sessions or anything like that you're like you know there's always discussions on things and maybe like you know somebody has some pushback on something you want to implement but then it goes through and everybody's like yeah let's do it and you're like yeah all right i got approval from my guys like this is good i'm feeling good about this and then it goes into the game and people are like man dude that sucks and you're just like dude no it doesn't right so um you know, it's really important to hear that feedback, though, because like you, that bias is the devil in game design, right? And I think yeah. you can look at like failed games, and a lot of times you look at those games, right? Bias is to blame. It's like somebody's idea who initially came up with that and couldn't let it go, and that person just maybe had enough pull, or everybody was on board. And you know, I think like a lot about you know shipping like games in like the 90s when you couldn't just pass something like dude how how impressive was that like that's that's like window in time where you couldn't update a game right you have to have so much respect for those people because like it had to be flawless or it had to have like a limited amount of bugs or you know um yeah the crazy time um i think the like last thing for like community events and stuff we, we want to implement things that are like very collaborative uh as far as like the player experience goes so like doing something like um you know winning a pvp event having that be like really beneficial like within the game and re rewarding both like as far as like an item standpoint and just like an experience standpoint um so you know we, we'd like to make pvp in the game feel a lot more meaningful than it currently does then also have just like server events like world bosses and things like that where you know you're coming together and you know, the person that did like the most damage to this thing, uh, maybe they get like an NFT that's like a mech NFT and, you know, uh, you know, or we reward everybody who like got a shot in on that kind of like world bosses and like a game like WoW, right? And, um, you know, so we really want to make like a lot of the player experiences way more collaborative than they currently are. You know, right now you can totally play the game as like a solo player, single player experience and that's fun. And mm -hmm. I, I do that a lot, but, you know, the game... The game is at its peak when like everybody's you know condensed down onto like a certain point and they're they're all competing for you know a citadel or domination style point or anything like that so you know that's that's definitely like priority number one for us is just more collaborative experiences well and i i think that's a good way to go because i think increasingly like don't get me wrong like i love single player experience but i still have my multiplayer games that um you know, even if I don't have anybody to play with, it's just like, oh, it's a fun game to play with random people or play. Like, I feel like Rocket League has been that way for me ever since it came out. Like, I've right. never hardly ever played it with anybody I know. I'm always just playing with randos, but I, I still yeah. play it like like at least like every other week. Like, I'm like, I'll just like play like 30 minutes, a few matches, even though like nothing's really 
changed with that game fundamentally since it came mm-hmm. out. Like it's still yeah. the same versus like um like anything Call of Duty, like it's something I'll play with my brother, but realistically it's something to do while we're like on the phone talking. It's just yeah. like, oh, we're both gonna talk on the phone, like catch up, and then like, oh, you want to play like some COD for a bit? And we're like, sure. But like if somebody's like, Do you play COD on your own? I'm like, never ever like but like (laughs) i don't think it's a bad game it's just like yeah it's it's a that's like it's an interesting like where that's a multiplayer experience like that's more fun to me when i play with people i know so i think there's like i think every game has that and so i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think that's a good way to be um because i think everybody finds their values in their single player versus multiplayer value experience but i i find that it just depends for me like my personal play style or what the game i like but i i always like having that option i think it's better to have than not yeah yeah no i agree like i like dota too right i I oddly play that game more just by myself than i ever do like queuing up with friends or anything like that right um but then like dead by daylight right which is like one of my other favorite games like i cannot play that by myself like i'll lose my mind if i (laughs) have to play you know that game solo but like yeah like you said like if friends are on and yeah it's just more of like a a way to catch up and we're just like doing something as we're as we're catching up right so um yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully we we strike a balance with that, you know. Um, like I said, most people enjoy metalcore right now, doing stuff with with people. Um, I kind of like going and doing like the missions and stuff like that. Um, but really, you know, I think the the number one thing, even like when it comes to like solo player missions and stuff like that, is like making the game feel more impactful, like everything you do being more impactful. So, you know, making just a mission like more challenging rather than having like a FedEx quest of fun, go here and like kill four people, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, maybe go here and kill four people, but you know, do we make that super challenging? Or, you know, we're really looking at like putting um, you know, very pivotal moments, like a single player experiences into the game right now, um, where you can't do this quest with people and it's gonna be really difficult. But, you know, if you can get it done, it's gonna be pretty worth worth your time as far as like rewards go and, you know how that looks you know on like the reward front we're still kind of like working through but yeah i mean with with blockchain you have a lot of options right of of what you can do well yeah and luckily you all have already kind of maneuvered yourself from the get-go at least for as long as i've been following you all that this game has both single and multiplayer experience so you you can pick you know whichever path you want to go. I I've never seen you all shy away from the fact that you can just do single player story like kind of driven experience but um like you i obviously you want people to be like more fun from our opinion if i'm speaking for metal cores is the pvp pve perspective yeah and i, I totally get that yeah, yeah. so yeah. i i think you've done a really good job of just like marketing that to your user base um and I, I think your players understand that pretty well at least from watching how they interact in the discord and stuff yeah yeah it, it's funny you know as like we kind of time like the domination event and then like the new like take the towers event um mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we kind of intentionally time those to where like, yeah, you, you go off and do your own thing for a little bit, maybe like get some cool components or a blueprint or you can craft something. But you know, you know, like at 30 minute intervals, there's gonna be a PvP event and you're gonna show off like all the stuff you just made, right? So yeah. Um yeah, and people seem to enjoy that, you know. Um I, like people definitely fall into like one of the two camps, like more so. Um mm-hmm. and what that is, you know, I mean it, it's just as long as as people, you know, if you're gonna build like both pillars they both have to be good right so oh yeah that people want to want to do both and i think we've we've hit that you know and now it's just expanding upon that is and and making those things feel more meaningful which is like i'd say 
you know, priority number one for us right now is like, how do we take what's currently existing and now make it feel like everybody has to be there? Like, oh, Metalcore's up. Like, I know Friday night, like I got have to play in that, you know, tournament or, you know, that domination mode because like, if I win, we get this, right? No, completely. And so that make that kind of also begs the question of like, do you feel like there's any lessons or best practices from traditional gaming that you believe are kind of, we can say essential, but they don't have to be, it could be kind of in the middle to integrate into your, into metal core. Um, Cause you've kind of touched on some of those things, just simply like wanting to offer the single player multiplayer experience, like wanting to offer a variety of play styles, um, offering community events, which are all things you could argue is not really unique to web three like um those are things that are done in traditional gaming as well but i didn't know if there's any we didn't discuss that you feel are really like essential that you want to integrate into your game Mm, yeah it's a good question i feel like beyond what we've been doing not a ton you know i think it's just uh more so than like i think the learning is that like or or the thing to, to pull from it is is you know there's a lot of like I think a lot of Web3 companies look and say like, well, we don't really know what people want yet. Like we're still kind of iterating and figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, no, like, you know, go look at any game right now. Like we can see what's being played. Like, you know, yeah. all that, all that stuff, all that data is public. Right. So, yep. you know, how do you take those things, right. And whether it's like a loop or a genre and, you know, anything, and how do you enhance that experience? Right. Is is the number one thing that I think about, like, when it comes to anything that you do in the gaming space, but specifically when you're in an emerging genre or an emerging niche of gaming, right? Is like, how do you, how do you take what's given to you and expand upon that, right? Because if you're using the technology and you're not using it to its fullest extent, you're just wasting everybody's time, including yours. And I've never been a big fan of that. So, <laughs> um, you know, like, yeah, it, it's, I think the, the big learning is like, all right, gamers have told us for a long time what they want and what they're looking for and, and what they enjoy. Now, how do I take that and how do I expand on that and, you know, make that a more full experience? Oh, I, I think that's a good way to be. So with that, like, where do you want to see Metalcore? I, and I know everyone hates this question. Where do you want to see Metalcore in the next five years? Like, are there any, I guess, like, and if you're allowed to share, are there any expansions or additional features like, you guys really want to integrate or that you you think players can really look forward to as time goes on yeah yeah you know i think like the dream for me and uh my partner here jay who's like our social media manager but one of the other kind of really involved like people who's more front-facing like our dream is is metalcore has always been like when you think about the potential of what this game could be is it's a game that has like what we call overnight growth where like you you know go to sleep and you wake up and the game like looks different or the game has more people in it because like a friend told a friend and and they brought their friend in right and so um you know i think that the dream for us is like having this game where you have this really fun like play session where like you go capture like tiles on the map and, and you go take control over you know parts of this planet right and then you go to sleep you go to work, you come back and like, dude, when have we lost, like we captured two tiles last night and we just lost six. Right. And it's just like this ever evolving game that, um, you know, has like customization has like endless amounts of, you know, dynamic elements to it that, that is always going to feel like it's a, a new and like fun experience. Right. So, um, 
you know, I think that's like the, the five-year goal is that like we've built something that can sustain itself and it's just like ever evolving. And we are not the drivers of that anymore. The people who are playing are the ones who are driving it. Um, you know, as far as like short-term roadmap, um, you know, we feel like we're on a really good direction for, you know, the next like three to six months of, of being able to add to the game and expand upon it. You know, I think we, we have, the game has its legs under it now. Um, now, how do we continue to just like build off that foundation? So uh, the next few months, you know, you'll see a lot of the stuff that we talked about, like just get added into the game. You know, we've, we've been kind of playing with it and figuring out how to, how do we implement it? And like, how do we iterate upon that? And we think we have those answers. So, you know, in the next, you know, three to six months, just getting that stuff live and in the hands of people, right? And, you know, getting um, vehicles like out there for everybody. And um, yeah, just, just starting to have that, that growth, you know, where we've, we've had really good game growth, like month over month, but we've still kind of kept it controlled. Like we've been intentional about how much we grow the game and we've hit like every KPI we're looking at. Um, so now it's just, how do we do that at scale, right? How do we do that with not, you know, thousands of people, but tens of thousands of people. And, um, you know, that's that's the million dollar question for everybody who's building in, in Web3 right now. And, um, you know, I think, you know, what, what we have is is looking really good so far and um, and it's feeling really good. And, and you know, we we are finally at a, a spot where, like I said, the game has legs, the game has potential. The game is like for us, like as a an internal team, like we're choosing to play Metalcore over other things right now. Right. So we're choosing to play yeah. like what we're making more so than Dota or WoW or, you know battlefield or whatever so how do we just take that experience and like bring that to you and to everybody else right no 100 percent. i mean i i think about that all the time with just um with this podcast i'm just like you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i get to talk to super amazing interesting people like yourself but sometimes you know when i put it out there i'm like i'm like what more can i be doing to get this in front of more people because you know part of you is you know, the days kind of feel far gone of just ejecting something into the internet void and eventually it catches on. Um, right. Sometimes that still happens, sure. But like, realistically, there's just so much choice and so much stuff people can get into, whether productive or wasteful time on the internet now, that um, you have to find a way to put yourself in front of people. And I've I, ever since I've been really like looking at marketing, I've noticed that a lot too, where there are products where it's like, I could be scrolling, I could be doing something completely different. And then something like just catches my YouTube app or something. And I'm like, I guess I'll go look at that. And I'm like, you know what? When would I have ever discovered this otherwise? I'm like, I wouldn't right. have. It was literally placed in front of me. So I, I think I think I understand, at least from that perspective, like the struggle on that of how you want to get that in front of people, but you don't want to be like, our marketing budget is $50,000 a month to get it in front of people. You know, like, because right. I've met I've met companies that do that. They're like, we're having exponential growth. And I'm like, wow, how are you working? They're like, we're spending like 50K a month on marketing. I'm like, that does not sound sustainable. And they're like, yeah. it's totally not but if we can drive the user growth now, and I just, I'm not, I'm not a gambling man in that sense of, yeah. I don't want to spend that much and hope for the best, but uh, some people it's worked out for them. They're like, we, we make a big marketing budget. The push happens. We start to taper off a bit. And then luckily it just word of mouth kind of takes over. But it's weird with gaming because you're right. Gaming either is like an overnight sensation or like a slow burn, or you kind of just get to a point in the community where people are like, you're not small anymore. You're not like massive, but everybody knows of you. And so like you, you're like, there's kind of, it feels like there's no room to grow vertically. Like you're kind of just growing horizontally. Um, and so I think it's hard when people get pegged in that spot 
because nobody wants to be pegged in that spot, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck in like the middle ground, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Luckily, we haven't like a lot of the stuff that we've done has been like at not much cost to us. Right. So we haven't really spent a lot of money for any of the attention that we've got. Right. We've been able to leverage like connections mm -hmm. and you know, early on, just an interest uh, like in Web3 and being a high quality team that's building in Web3, like got us a lot of places. Right. And and, um, you know, you know, good product sells itself. Right. So everybody we've talked to from like your random startup that that's out there building to like publicly traded like Fortune 500 companies, like we've never heard the word no yet. <laughs> Surprisingly. Well, one. <laughs> time did we ever um and that was like a company that was like we weren't super passionate about anyway right sure um, and so you know we have some money saved up right we have some uh you know we we have what we think is like good growth so far and now yeah like i said scaling that is is the next challenge and then being able to like effectively scale, I think is like the overlooked part of that, right? So can you scale at a point where you can also benefit from that? Or what we see in Web3 is people just go like, yeah, here's a bunch of money. I'm gonna get a bunch of people like paying attention to my product, but they have no way to like actually benefit from that on the flip side of that, at the, at the end of that, you know, user funnel. Um, so being intentional about that, I think is like the most important thing for us because I mean, we don't have an endless amount of money, right? We, we have some, some budget set aside, but you know, being intentional about like scaling and doing so at a time where we ultimately benefit from that, because if we benefit from it, the player base does, because we can keep growing the game and we can keep adding, you know, new features and kind of iterating upon what we've built so far, you know, further. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, that's the, that's the challenge for like the next, you know, six months or so. Sure. I mean, user retention is always a big thing in, in gaming, period, let alone. I feel like Web3 Gaming, it's um, a lot of people can come in and then kind of see, because like it could be like there's some sort of like shtick or something projected. They're like, you can do this. People go, cool, let me get in on it. And then they're like, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be or it's not what they expected. And so sometimes you see like a mass exodus versus people who, getting people who come in because you're like, here's our game we think it's fun to play and really like it. Hope you feel the same way. And people go in, they're like, oh, it is. Yeah, I'm going to keep playing this, which I think is a, a, obviously a much more tried and true model than trying to get people in on some sort of FOMO or, you know, some sort of like, you could make this much money if you're on the first like 1500 whitelist sort of thing. Um, I mean, just like um, literally uh, Rave, well, I guess their, their Web3 version is Raven Quest. Their traditional is Raven Dawn. They're mm -hmm. kind of like, um, I feel like they have a massive community. Like anytime I've gone in their discord, like it's super active and I haven't even played the game that much, but um, having talked to those guys in the past, that's kind of exactly it where they're just like, same with like y'all. They're just like, we were just developing this game. We had all these inspirations for other games. We're trying to do all this. We, we have an in-game economy. That's not like, you're not supposed to be able to make like real world money off it, but it's supposed to be like, it's, it's definitely comp. Like it's a legitimate in-game economy. Um, which I've had in-game economists come on and talk, and I'm not even going to pretend I understand that. That <laughs> That is legitimate economics, and then figuring out how to make it fair and balanced in a game is um, you really need to know what you're doing, which I think is funny because I think a lot of people who integrate that overlook that. They're like, we're not going to hire an in-game economist, and you're like, then your oh. economy is going to be 100% broken, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you don't get to like redo economy, right? Like you. Yes. 
you you can patch a game and, and fix bugs and all that stuff, but economy you get like one shot at. And yeah. if you break it, I mean it's like the undead block problem, right? Is it's already broken. So and in web three, like your economy is is in our current state, your economy is your number one tool for user acquisition, right? So if you break that, and I'm really concerned for big time in, in this way, right? Is mm-hmm. if if the economy is broken this early, you don't get a chance to deliver on what you want to deliver on. So yeah, you know, if you yeah, if, if that's not like one of the most, if not like the most intentional part of your game design, then you shot yourself in the foot and you, you know, you're never going to like get to, to take off. Right. And and I think we'll see with big time. Um, you know, I hope that they didn't, you know, uh, kind of harm, you know, what they're ultimately trying to do, like with the, the token drop and all that stuff. But like, you know, it, I don't know. It scares me a little bit because <laughs> I, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of like cloudiness around it. And, um, you know, if if that's gone tomorrow, the, do the people that are still there, you know, care enough? I mean, if up to this point we we haven't seen people care as much as they they did at one point, right? They're actually, still doing well though. So you know, I I throw that out with the caveat that like actually still has pretty good retention metrics. So yeah, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was definitely a point in time where I was like, well, Axie's done, and yeah. I did I did not expect it to last, um, let alone. I don't want to say it's like come back, but you know, there was, it was definitely at a low point and it's come back from that. I'll say at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you're totally right though. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so I mean like we've talked about so much like web three gaming, like NFT, so much like asset ownership in game economies, all that stuff. But if we just look at, you know, web three, the web three and NFT portion, I mean, do you see this as like the, the future of gaming or is, do you feel like this is more like a unique e- ecosystem to complement traditional gaming? Yeah, very much so like the latter. Um, I don't think that we ever see a future where everything is on chain and and every game has like an aspect. There's always going to be, I think, games that just don't add. Like, you know, we look at Zelda, right? Why why does Zelda need NFTs like that? They just don't. Right. Um, (laughs) They're going to get enough money from their initial sales. They're going to release a DLC. They're going to get a ton of money from that. Um, And then they're going to release another Zelda that's, you know, there, there doesn't need to be anything on chain. Um, so I think you're always going to have, you know, a, a huge segment of the game, the gaming space that just doesn't incorporate anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll see NFTs play a, a much, you know, whatever we call them. I mean, I will, we'll not call them NFTs because it's way too bad of a word right now. But yeah, know, whether they're like collectibles or I mean, we know what they are. Right. So, right, yeah, you know, those I, I think there's a future of that. Um, I think it's just people, nobody wants to be first ever in anything, right? Like, yeah, the, the you know, when I, when I was in college, right, I always like did my presentation second, just so somebody else could go <laughs> fuck it up first. So, um, yeah. So, like, nobody ever wants to, to be the first person that does something. But when, and, and the, like, gaming as a whole is, is pretty reactionary, right? So, mm-hmm. when you see somebody implement NFTs in a really novel way, a lot of, games i think will then follow suit and find ways like how do i and we're all you know it sucks that gaming so reactionary because some of those creative people in the world are involved in gaming so you know i think once once there's use case just shown i think you know the web3 space becomes way more normalized but you know is is it the future 
yeah, it's part of it, but it, you know, I don't, I don't think that it will be like the end all be all, you know, there's always going to be hold up like counter-strike, right? Uh, why do they even put their stuff on chain? They're doing they're doing everything we want to be doing already. You know, it's just not on the blockchain. <laughs> no, you're totally right. That's yeah. that's always an example people throw out. They're like Counter Strike, man. They're like Counter Strike was way ahead of its game, like with everything. Well, yeah, and people are always like Counter Strike is like the proof that blockchain will be the future, and I'm like, no, it's proof that like you don't need blockchain because they do yeah. everything. About. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think it's actually a very negative uh, experience when people use like Counter Strike as you know, their argument for blockchain, I'm like, no, dude, like, that's the exact opposite. It's, it's the case against blockchain because it, they're trading peer-to-peer. They're just doing it through a database. They're not doing it through a, a public ledger, like, block, you know, which is essentially what blockchain just is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but also, like, yeah, like you said, Counter-Strike is the game with the most staying power. It's a really horrible example because nobody's ever going to be the next Counter-Strike. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and so it, it's funny that we kind of bring that up because, like, you know, we've seen some more, uh, and, you know, we've been talking a lot about traditional gaming, Web3 gaming, but we've been seeing more and more traditional gaming companies getting more involved in Web3. I mean, like, um, you know, Razer launched their own Web3 uh, Web VC firm. Um, the former CTO of Epic went to work with Yuga Labs. I have no idea if he's still there at this point with everything going on. Um, obviously, Ubisoft was getting in Sony. I'm sorry, Square Enix tried to do it for a bit there. Um, you know, GameStop obviously had that partnership with Immutable for a while. I don't know if they still have it ongoing. So it's like there's a lot of, you know, players in the traditional gaming getting more involved with um, Web3. I mean, do you think, what do you think of that? You think that's a good thing or you just like, it kind of doesn't make a difference or? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I change my mind on this like all the time because <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, like, uh, you know, one of the guys who was like, very early on at Epic, um, he and I spoke at like this event in town a few months ago, mm-hmm. and he was like all about blockchain for a while. Then I talked to him this thing. I was like super excited to meet him, and he was just like super against like he was because he you know he then started like a fund and lost a lot of money in blockchain. So he's since kind of gone against it. Um, at first, I think that would have been like yeah, oh my gosh, like one of the guy, early guys at Fortnite, you know, is yeah investing in blockchain infrastructure. And now he's like, oh, I lost too much money. Definitely staying away from it. So, um, yeah, I think it always helps, right? Because when you're like a, an industry or any, you know, when you're trying to build something, it, it gives you legitimacy when somebody from like the CTO of Epic, you know, or, you know, somebody former suit at EA comes and like joins Yuga, like that person knows an aspect of gaming, right? Which is you know, whether that's publishing, whether that's, you know, um, product management or whatever, there's definitely things that mean more, you know, I think if it was like somebody who built, you know, like Ice Frog from like the Dota uh, team and like built in, in blockchain, that means a lot more, right? But yeah, um, I think it always gives an air of legitimacy and how things like should should run. I think one of the, one of the problems in blockchain is like so many people are like first time managers at companies or never scaled something or never built something so you know and, and that person's now found himself at, like as a ceo and that's why so many of these startups have failed is because there's just so much money to be raised that you know now th- that person ultimately didn't know how to lead a team um so i think it always helps but you know i think the you know the people who are gonna like bring this space forward 
are here already. You know, it's Paul Bettner, it's it's Sinjin from like MAYG, it's um, you know, Mark Long from Shrapnel, it's, it's people from our side, you know. They're like the people that are gonna make this space impactful are, are already here. And um, you know, it, it sometimes is a little disheartening that like people like Paul are here and you know that's overlooked. <laughs> so you know, I think like sometimes I I sit there and and I get so surprised that people who believe in this being the future aren't more avidly supporting, you know, pioneers in the space right now. But, you know, it's, you know, I think it shows that, you know, not everybody's here for like the love of the technology or the the future of the technology. And some people are just here to still make money and speculate and that's totally okay. We're never going to get rid of that. Right. So, yeah. um, But, you know, I think ultimately like those, you know, those people that make the jump from like web two to web three, are always going to help um more than they are right it's always going to be more good than it than it is you know a negative but you know ultimately i think like the pioneers are, are here right but then you know i don't know if ice frog comes over i'll change my mind <laughs> well and it's funny because that that was something i found out like super early on looking into a lot of the web3 gaming is i was like dude there's like all these like traditional gaming veterans like working on projects starting projects and like it just made me take a step back and I was like, why am I just now finding out about all these amazing people in here? And instead I'm hearing about the gambling casino, big eyes or Tama Doge, like all the shit coins that are like yeah. coming out and they're like, don't worry, you'll be able to join our gambling casino. I'm like, I don't like, I could care less, dude. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't, this isn't important to me. It's just got the FOMO train, FOMO hype. Yeah. And like, again, if somebody presented to me two opportunities and they're like, look, you can go work for, this company with like a traditional gaming veteran who's transitioning into web three, their company maybe only raised like 10% of this other company person's never like done anything gaming, but like, we'll just say like 500 million versus 5 million. I'd be like, yeah, of course I'm sure it's really tempting to go to the 500 million because I'm probably going to get paid a lot more. But I trust the dude who's got way less funding, who has more experience gaming way more. Plus I'd rather work with him because I'm going to learn. I'm actually going to get to learn from him. The other person's just going to, you know, if you, I, I think that's the problem too with like as you get more money for some of these ventures, it's just like, well, that's the beauty of having so much money. I can just dish out to expertise, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about it. And sure, that works to a fault. But um, when you have people who actually know what they're doing and have the experience, like that's that just, I think that just yeah. makes for an overall better experience and makes for an overall better game versus yeah. just hiring the best of the best or hiring someone to do it. Be like, well, this is my idea. Just make it happen. Here's the money. Money's yeah. not an issue, you know? So I don't know, personally me, like if I had the opportunity, like that would be now knowing what I know, I definitely can't say when I first got in, I wouldn't have taken the 500 million obviously, but, or whatever yeah. it is, but now knowing yeah. what I know, I'm like, yeah, I'd rather work with people who have that industry experience, who have that understanding of what it is to make a game from the ground up, because that's, that's ultimately like I'm not, again I'm not a developer I'm not any of that but ultimately I'm like oh that shared kindred spirit of like the love of gaming like you can't work in that industry for that long if you're like what well, my heart like I like you know you can't be like I hate gaming it's like why have you worked in it the last 25 years you're like eh, yeah you know it's where I make my money it's like no obviously you love it because there's definitely highs and lows it's an it's hard, it's a hard industry when you're inside it man it's yeah it's not for the weak man like it's no very volatile like you have to like have resolved like it's not for the faint of heart right and you know to your point of like do you take like the 50 million dollar company or the five million dollar company or whatever versus like the 500 million dollar company like how's that worked out for yuga right how is like any product <laughs> shipping gone for them right like dookie dash was like uh, 
I, my people in the Web3 space always make fun of me, but I actually enjoyed Dookie Dash, right? Um, I thought it was fun to play. I thought it was like kind of addicting. I only played it for like a couple hours over like the whole life cycle of that, like six weeks or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was fun, right? But everything else that they've done has been like a net negative and a huge impact to the brand. And like when you're, when all you are is an IP, anything that yeah. affects the brand is affects, you know, you in a in a in a huge negative, right? So, you know, whereas there's people like the Champions Ascension team or, or Paul is like a great example. Like they've done this so many times. Like you know, I can like off the bat, you know tell you that Paul has built three of the most like impactful games in, um, you know, I mean, four probably um, that have existed in the last 30 years. Right. So why would you not bet on somebody like that? Right. Exactly. Because he doesn't have cute monkey pictures or whatever, or, you know, like, uh, so it's, it's always like a little interesting to me that, you know, somebody who worked on like Halo Wars or built Wars with friends or built age of empires or, built lucky tales vr like you know there's so many like success stories there and um like i said the champions team is really good like gabe from limit break Sasha from conventional is like you know uh, like i said our team built some of the first like mech warrior games right and built some like we did a lot of work for the uh, lord of the rings game that's going to come out like at the end of the month and so you know there's a lot of really cool founders really good founders and just good teams in the space yeah, people pay attention to like the shit coins. So <laughs> it's you have to just tune it out though. Like from being from like our end of it, you know, you you just have to tune that out. You can't sit there and look at like why is this getting attention and like we're not. You know, you just you keep building, right. you keep grinding it out, and and it'll come. I have no doubt in my mind that you know titles like you know Dimensionals and and Wildcard and Metalcore and and all these things will be you know much bigger than they currently are. I, I have no doubt in my mind. You know, but. Yeah, like I said, you have to you have to have some resolve to like be able to see that stuff happening and keep a finger on the pulse and not be like, you know, a little discouraged by some of that stuff. Well, yeah, too. Like I I I always thought about it like, and I don't even remember what age I was when I finally learned how much time. I think I was reading like it couldn't have been Nintendo Power, some gaming magazine, and I was like reading how many years it takes to make a game and like how much work goes into it. And then it just made me look at games completely different. Like any game I ever approached, instead of being like, oh, this sucks, and then just turning it off, I'd be like, well, wait, let me give it a chance because I was like, somebody put a shit ton of time into this and a lot of effort. And again, like you said, gotta have thick skin. Like I'm sure there have been people where you release a play trailer of medical people like, well, this shit sucks. And you're like, dude, dude, you're not even playing it. You just like literally judged it based on its face value. And you're, and like that that hurts. Like when you're like, especially for the development team, they're like, we just spent like a year, year and a half developing this. Thanks for nothing. So like, I, Mm -hmm. I totally get it from that point. And I think part of that helped that before I ever, um, you know, like I, I've done music forever. I've written music. Oh, wow. So like I did, I, I've been a musician for like close to 20 years. And so for me too, that was another thing is I used to, I used to be so shallow. I used to listen to like the first 10 seconds of a song and be like, nope, not for me. Like, I don't right. like it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or sometimes I'd listen to an album and I'd be like, man, this album sucks. And I'd be like, you know what? I've learned to give things multiple tries and really give it the sound and ear because sometimes things just, especially with art, sometimes art just doesn't hit you a certain yeah. way the first time through so i think and no, gaming man, is definitely a form of art yeah oh yeah 100 percent, right and a, and a form of storytelling and, and all these yes. things right yeah and sometimes you have to go through that at the right moment or you have to be in the right headspace for that right like i'm that way with music like i've listened to albums that i hated 
uh, you know, when I was younger and like yeah. love now. Right. Yeah. And um, or the opposite. Right. Like, dude, why do I listen to that? That was embarrassing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's very subjective. And, you know, I think like my, my way of learning that, like I used to stream on Twitch a lot and um, built like a good size audience there and, and stuff and don't do it often enough anymore. But, um, you know, when you were in like streamer networks or whatever, people would be like, dude, why is this girl like she sucks and she's getting like all these viewers. And I just had to learn like of being like, dude, the people that are like watching that girl in the hot tub or whatever, like they're not for you anyway. Like they're never yeah. going to watch you because it's like this. they don't want to see, you know, you playing something. They want to see a girl and be sold a fantasy or whatever. And, yeah. you know, you just have to like be okay with that. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty easy to like get used to, to be honest with you. I mean, like sure you have that with music. If you make something, you know, there's just people that aren't going to like it. Right. But, you know, um, it's it's when people who have traditionally like, who have liked what you've put out and now they're losing you um or you're losing them that's where you, i think you start to get a little bit more concern it's like sure. we've built up this core audience and we have like a golden cohort and if that group of people is saying a bunch of negative things like that's when you're in trouble right but if you yeah you know um but yeah like it, it's when you lose it's when you lose like the people that are there and i see that happening a lot in like um like pfb communities right now like brand communities that's happening like hand over fist right um but you know and 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 the more like artistic uh forms of expression like i think we're still like doing okay you know yeah well and i think too that you know it's just i don't know i just think there's always going to be those people unfortunately who won't give your thing a try no matter how much like it i've just learned to get to the point where like i will pretty much listen to i will look at i will interact with and try to absorb any form of art there is and after a certain period of time i go hey i i don't diminish it i don't think it's bad i guess it's just not for me you know mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's not going to have a wide range of audience again like i said like i if i think about all the mecha games i've played in my life it's really been like the first mech warrior and then Armored Core 6. That's it. Like, and there's yeah. been a shit ton of mecha games in, the, in the meantime. <laughs> so, like, it's, and that's why I like laughed when I started playing this. I was like, huh, not a mech guy, but like, I like this integration in Metalcore. And I was like, so it's just funny that it's like, I, I give it a chance. Like, I, I see it for what it is. But if somebody, like, if somebody was like, Metalcore is strictly a mech game up until Armored Core 6, which was my most recent mech, I might be like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just not for me, but I'll still try it. You know, mm -hmm. it just might have been a thing where I was like, I don't play mech games it's not for me you know but i would have tried it and see how it went and then if i liked it i've been like oh yeah this is one of the exceptions you know so i don't know i just mm -hmm. feel like people don't give stuff enough of a chance unfortunately especially like we said with art yeah yeah i mean you know i i kind of like uh famously don't really love trading card games right and um you know by extension of that haven't really loved a lot of the web free trading card games and like my friends work on those games you know <laughs> so it's like a thing where, you know, like I, you want to or whatever. Um, yeah. But they're just like not for you. And like Parallel yeah. is actually really great. Um, and, uh, you know, when I've sat down and like played it, love it. But I'm just I don't have like a thirst for playing it. You know, I don't like sit there when I'm like working, think of, man, can't wait for like the clock to strike five or whatever. So I can like turn this game on, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's totally OK, because like that just exists as like, you know, I, I do that. I mean, I think that's just humanity right like i don't you know I'm not gonna only ever watch like 
horror game or horror movies or anything like that. Like, you know, I watch, I'm, I'm watching like Boardwalk Empire right now, which is about like, you know, Atlantic City in the Prohibition days. Oh, yeah, and like great next series. show, yeah, super yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I don't know, next show, I think I like, you know, is will be something totally different, right? And you just bounce around on things and, you know, that, we always have a home base, but like, yeah, my, my home base is probably just still going to be Dota anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, I only have one other question left, and it's really just what what advice so would I you ask, give? Can I ask? Oh, questions? yeah, no, you can ask me questions too, dude. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what's, <laughs> what kind of music do you make? Um, so I did a range of stuff. So for the longest time, I did like metal music, so like okay. metalcore, hardcore music. Um, yeah. But like I, I've done everything from like alternative, uh, like indie rock, uh, like lo-fi. Like I just, it's been a lot of fun. I I work right with a what? What do you do right now? Like, what's your thing right now? So right now, I took a break for a while because my main band, uh, like I was in it for like 10 years and that was my main thing. And I did some side projects on the side with people, but I mostly was just doing stuff on my own. And then once that broke up, I kind of took a break. And ironically, that's why I got into podcasting because I wanted another artistic outlet. Yeah. And then I just like kind of sent out like a feeler post on some of my social media being like, hey, like I, this band, because like we never announced we were done. And I was like, I'm going to do it because like I'm tired of people asking me questions. I was like, this band's dead and done. Like it kind of has been for a few years. I'm making it. And I had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, oh, cool. Do you want to work on something? I'm like, man, I wish I knew about this like three. I mean, actually, I'm kind of glad it happened when it did because I'm glad I still get to do this because I really do enjoy podcasting. Yeah. But um, it worked out that way. And so currently, like, I have, like, two different projects. Like, one's with one guy who, um, he does a lot of, um, like, R&B. And he does a lot of really interesting, um, like, he's basically just, like, I want to make, like, a lot of, like, he likes EDM. and He just wants to make a, a measure of genres, like, mix. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know anything about any of those. Like, I'm happy to be a part of it. Like, expand my region, my knowledge. But um, these other guys, they always wanted to make a a deathcore band, and I was like, I have never done that in my life. But I was like, yeah. I'll try it. It sounds like fun because it's yeah. it's easy to um, it's easy. Like I'm sure as you know, if you like everybody you work with, it's pretty easy to make concessions to be like, this probably isn't like exactly what I would make if I had full creative control. But like, I like everyone I work with. I like the way it's expanding my taste, my knowledge. You're like, I'm happy to be a part of this. So yeah. So okay, I have this question about music that I've always yeah. been fascinated by. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, growing up, I was into like Taking Back Sunday, for example, right? Love them. Love Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. And so do you remember that era where they went through where like that guy Fred was like the backup singer? Yeah. Yeah. And then he just left. <laughs> to start yeah. his own thing. And then yep. like, I have this really band that I really liked growing up called Halifax. Um, oh, yeah, dude. You like Halifax? Yeah, uh, I love MTV, Halifax. Yeah, dude. The yeah. Real World Austin, you know, yep. got punched. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah love right. Halifax, dude. I mean, like to this day, and they haven't released the song of Voxtrot again. If you're like in the Austin music scene, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a really great band called Melee. Um, mm -hmm. and then they all just like were like, they just broke up, and I'm like, there's no way you could like go be like a guy who drives a forklift over being a rock star like these guys had success right they were making albums like they, they were on mtv right so why do they just like why does that happen over and it's always like artistic differences and i'm like you guys couldn't put your artistic differences aside so much so that now you're just a guy who does construction or something <laughs> instead of being a rock star you know because all those guys all those were like purposeful examples of people who then just like never went on to release more music whether solo or 
in another band or anything. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. Why does that happen? So there can why be a multitude of reasons. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Dude, there's nothing worse than discovering a band. You're like, this band kicks ass. And you're like, oh, they broke up in 2006 or something. You're like, oh, this <laughs> album I'm listening to was released like forever ago. You're like, well, that sucks. And sometimes yeah. they come back. Sometimes they do, but yeah. nine times out of ten, Meanwhile, they do. You too could just fucking do it for 60 years. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there, there could, so you can also have famous people like, um, Tom Waits, Bob Dylan, who like Bob Dylan is not famous for his own music. He's famous for other people taking his music that he wrote and essentially outperforming him or making yeah. it better. So Tom true, Waits yeah. is super famous in the blues scene because people are like, dude, he's got such a grungy voice. But most people are just like Tom Waits, the actor. You're like, dude, he, before he was an actor, he was doing like <laughs> blues and like that's that was his thing. And he's been doing that, like you said, literally like 60 years. Um, mm -hmm. Shit, even even Willie Nelson had his ups and downs where he was just like, he was like on like album 18 and people are like, dude, Willie's still making music. Who cares? Like, yeah. and then he comes, but he has this long time fans and then he comes back and now you're like, the dude's a legend. But like, I would say it's a multitude of reasons. So one touring, having done touring, touring is extremely expensive. So a lot of times oh, wow. you'll get a guarantee, which is essentially your pay for the day. And so I can just tell you sometimes we'd be driving six, eight, 12 hour days and your guarantee for the day is a hundred bucks, which doesn't cover your gas. <laughs> right. So you're relying on merch sales. Your merch is obviously already a sunken cost at that point. You're hoping you can sell merch. And sometimes the shows, people don't buy your merch or there's just not enough people to shows. And you're like, so this was a lost moneymaker. Hopefully we get some exposure. We got no exposure. And sometimes that happens. So realistically, what happens is you get to, I, I think a lot of, and we made this mistake too, for sure. A lot of bands want to tour before they're ready. Probably, probably no different in business than wanting to launch your product before it's ready or 100%. you have a solid product. Yeah. Um, and so I, when I would talk to bands that would actually, because for us, we were like, well, you release an album and then you go tour and you play it in front of people and that's how you get to them. Because like I started right on the cusp of like smartphones and social media. So like I didn't really know how to use all that. So I remember literally like we hired somebody to do all that for us and it started building traction. But then she, when she wanted more money, we're like, well, we can't afford to pay that. And she's like, well, I'm going then. And so then that really dropped off for us. We're like, we'll just go back to our old thing because none of us wanted to manage a social media page. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can you can credit that, chalk that up to laziness or just acting like a boomer or something and be like, I don't want to do this. But um, yeah. a lot of times what happens is you're not wrong. Creative differences. Sometimes people just get their creative differences so strong. Like uh, imagine if I was in a band and I was like, man, I just really want to write like taking back Sunday. And they're like, well, I just really want to write like, um, you know, Bob Dylan stuff. And you're like, well, we're just not seeing eye to eye. There's no reason for us to be in a band anymore. And so sometimes it just happens like that. But I think what happens more often than not is people put so much time and so much money into a band and they try, they try so hard to make it successful and not everybody can unfortunately be successful. And so sometimes they just have enough. I mean, dude, touring is exhausting. You're like, I'm going to drive yeah. six, eight, 10, 12 hours, play a show. And then I have to be somewhere else that's six, eight, 10, 12 hours away. So I'm going to drive through the night. If I don't have, if I can't afford to pay somebody, sleep all day, play a show, and then do that for like a month or two months straight. And by the yeah. time, like, I'll just say this. I, I don't, <laughs> I remember laughing. There's a dude I met who he drove buses for touring bands. He's like, oh, I get why people do cocaine. He's like, dude, you're just tired all the time. And I was like, that's terrible, man. He's like, seriously, though. He's like, people, people don't do it because they want to. They're like, I can't stay awake and function otherwise. <laughs> like, right, right. So it's, it's an exhausting lifestyle. I think a lot of people, too, I've met people who could have been in a very successful band 
they go on their first tour 30 days and they're like, I hate being gone from my family that long. They're like, it's yeah. just, I, they're not, they're not built to tour. So there's like yeah. so many multitudes of reasons, but um, I think you also have like kind of like tails and rises like in the music industry. And I would say mid 2000s, like 2005 to 2008 was definitely like a fall through. Like there was all like, there's a dime a dozen artists. Like, yeah. There were so many people who could sound like Taking Back Sunday or like Halifax or My Chemical Romance, but they weren't any of those bands. Mm -hmm. And so nobody cared about them. So those dudes like were My just Chemical like... My Chemical Romance is who they are because they did it first. But then yeah, nobody, exactly. nobody cared about Aiden because like Aiden was just kind of like a knockoff. That's, did, did you know who they are? Yeah, yeah. I've exactly. never dropped that reference and had somebody get it. That's I'm very impressed by <laughs> that. Um, well, so I, but... I liked a lot of emo <laughs> pop punk music. So okay, like it's probably yeah. why I know. But no, dude, it's just like it's... it's um. I would argue it's a super tough industry. It's actually where I learned so much of my business development and just like marketing yourself, um, yeah. even though it didn't like 100% translate over. And again, you got to have a tough skin because there's times where you spend a year and a half, two years working on an album. You really was like, oh, this sucks, dude. And you're like, dude, I spent so much time and money to make this. Like, yeah. I get that you may not like it, but you could have just like kept your mouth shut. Like, <laughs> so yeah, you have I mean, to have tough skin. Dude, you couldn't just tell me, like, you couldn't just not say anything. <laughs> But, yeah so i, yeah, I get that aspect to tell me you didn't like <laughs> yeah exactly or people all the time would come to after show and be like hey like i like that you do this but why didn't you do that and you're like because i wrote the song and you didn't i guess i don't yeah. know dude like <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure so i don't know there's yeah. there's a multitude of reasons it's um with streaming coming about with people who really understand the social media marketing strategies now music is a totally different ball game um, like if somebody was like, get in and be a successful band now, I'd be like, I don't think I understand the industry anymore because I just write for myself. And I just, I just, I literally just yeah. throw stuff into the void and I'm like, if people listen to it. Great. If they don't, yeah. no skin it's, off my back. It seems like it's, it's, I mean, being an artist right now seems like you, it's not even about being an artist. It's about like, who can just be, you know, a, who can have, get attention by any means necessary. It's like, you have to be like on TikTok and you have to put your music over something and be like, oh my gosh, I think I just wrote the song of the summer or whatever. And it's like, I, I have a, a friend who is like a producer and I think he, he was saying like, yeah, the hard part about music and why I don't want to pursue, yeah, and he's a very successful producer, but yeah. you know, he said like, yeah, the reason I don't care about being like the forefront is like, I, I you know, I want to be, an, I don't want to be an influencer. I want to be influential. And I was yeah. like, man, that's, a really good way of putting it because like i think right now in music there's not people aren't becoming a successful artist based off like the merits of their music it's a lot about like the brand built up around them through social media and through and that's just like i don't know like not fun i imagine right if you're somebody like trying to become an artist in 2023 you know having to be constantly on you know instagram and tiktok and having presences upon like it's just a total brand you know and it, it's not a an individual you know building you know or creating good music and, and i'm sure that still does happen but i just i feel like it's you know it's there's more business to it than just being able to make music well yeah and see that was my problem is i came to it as somebody who was like i just like writing music i can do it decently enough and i got another people who can do it and then i was like you know, I, I feel so naive. I don't know how long this has not been going on in the industry, but I truly believe when I started, I was like, yeah, you play live shows, 
there's some dude who works for the record company in the back who comes to your show, which never happens as far as I understand. <laughs> they don't they don't go to local shows because local shows suck for them. Um, and they do and, it every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like now more realistically, somebody gets traction on social media or Spotify and they're like, let's reach out to these guys and see what we can do for them or make an offer. But I truly used to believe that there'd be a record a record label they would come up to you afterwards and go hey love to work something out and so for my my whole mo was i was like write music play shows get out in front of people the rest will come naturally which was just unfortunately not the way it ran because i didn't know the business or anything and by the time i did know the business we had to make the choice of being like well we kind of i don't want to say we wasted time but we spent a lot of time doing business the wrong way let's pivot and then um obviously like you know, people grow up, people change after so many time, you know, somebody who's been your drummer for four years is like, I'm kind of tired of this. I want to go do this now. Like I'm, I had my fun. I did it. I don't want to do it anymore. And so that sets you back. Cause you're like, I got to find a new drummer. Or I got to find a new guitarist or whatever. Yeah. Um, so things just happen. Like people grow up. I mean, realistically, again, the nail in the coffin for me is like this, this last band I was in, I'd probably been broken up for a while, but, um, the lead vocalist, um, like was like, I'm going to have a baby. And I was like, Oh dude, can't be in a band and like tour anymore. I was like, you got yeah. like a family now. And he was working full time, like, like, Rock you know, doing so much diapers, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can, if you're making like millions, but yeah. I was like, Oh bro, like we, you need to work to provide for your family. We're not making buco bucks like off this. So like, I was like, that's probably should be the nail in the coffin. Plus like, you don't want to be on the road for a month while your wife's at home, just take care of a baby. Like that's not yeah. fair. You know, that's, that's a lot to deal with. And so I yeah. was just like, yeah, I totally get that. But, but it's a lot. I mean, again, I, I'm the same way as you. Like, even with this podcast, like, I limit myself to, I'm like, I only talk on Twitter and LinkedIn because I was like, I can't manage like seven social media channels. It would just be too much. And, and again, yeah. like, everything the band. And the only other one I left open was for video, as I was like, I will do YouTube and consider it, but I need to find a way to streamline it first. And I was like, yeah. and that's why I've saved all my video content that I'm like, yeah, I'll happily do it later. Um, but it's just like, it's easy enough for me to, go in and do my postings for LinkedIn and Twitter and stay active on there. But yeah, I can't imagine being like TikTok and Instagram oh, yeah. and Dude, all these reels. other pages. Yeah, you have to like format all of them just like slightly differently. And yes. yeah, I mean, it's a distribution of things is it's in a way from like a, an end user or listener like me for, for music or anything, it's never been more accessible, but then from like, you know, the opposite end of the, the, you know, pipeline, it's never been, probably more difficult right to like constantly manage <laughs> you know different platforms and tiktok and finding like what's the what's the viral moment in this and you know i don't want to say maybe more difficult but like more just ocean in front of you to like and deciding like all right you know these are the pillars i'm gonna focus on or whatever you know because it, i mean dude if i had to like if they told me like hey we need to have a presence on tiktok i would be like yeah i this is going to go horribly. <laughs> like, you know, they I, said, I would like, just, <laughs> I would just be like, chalk it up to AI, man. I'd be like, I don't know. I don't, that's, that's the one. So TikTok obviously bleeds its way onto other social media, but like, I've never signed up for TikTok. Cause I was like, I get it. It's, I get what it is. I was just like, I also am just like, I, I do purges where I'm just like, I don't want to be active on social media for any more than I have to be. Cause yeah. I've, I've noticed easily how easy it is to go down the reels rabbit hole oh dude yesterday i got sucked into like a 45 minute rabbit hole on instagram <laughs> dude and i was just like i've always been pretty good about like social media and stuff like that um you know obviously for for i think our, our jobs like you have to be on twitter you have to be on linkedin yeah of course but 
I've always been pretty good. And then like, dude, yesterday, just like randomly, I was reading a book and um, I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm at a natural stopping point. Gonna, gonna look at my phone for a second. Found mm-hmm. myself there like 45 minutes later. And I was like, yo, this is a, this is dangerous, dude. Like, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent, dude. Like that, that's uh-huh. why like I'll purge myself for, um, and it's so funny how easy it is to just like go right back to the crack pipe. Like I'll do purges <laughs> where like, I just like, I'm like, I'm not, I, I basically log out and I'm trying to remember the app I'd download to block it for like 30 days. And so it would keep track. So I'd be like, oh, I know when the 30 days are up. And then I'd get back in and I'd be like, huh, it's funny how I don't really miss any of this. Don't care. But then as time slowly goes on, I'm like, oh, I'm spending more and more time on here. Uh-huh. I more so just make a conscious effort now to look at the clock. And I'm like, what time is it? I was like, I will spend five to 15 minutes in here and then I want to get out and then I yeah. just keep checking the clock. And so that's worked really well for me, but um, just giving yourself like a little bit of freedom to be like, all right, I'm going to waste a little bit of time, but not yeah. too much time. Right. It also helps having your health report. I don't know if you're a droid or iPhone user. I'm a droid yeah. user. So yeah. the health report being like you spent seven hours on Facebook. So I'm like, what the fuck dude? Like, <laughs> dude. Yeah, man. I was, uh, when I was a firefighter, I was injured for, for a little bit. And, or I think I might've had COVID like very early on in the pandemic before it was like really understood. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, I was like, yeah, you know, they're like, do, do a two week isolation from everybody, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I got like, the, uh, after like the first week, um, I was just like at a hotel, um, that they like was like the, the, the COVID center, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I remember like my phone usage for that week was like 11 hours or something. And I was like, dude, that's almost half the day. Like yeah. I sleep for like eight, <laughs> <laughs> so hey you know i only had you know a few hours of like not phone usage or whatever and i and yeah that's the devil of it too right it's like when you were not using those things you're never like wish i could open up instagram right now and then look at some reels or wish i could open up tiktok you're like yeah no my life's better i run for 15 more minutes or whatever and you know or i do actually stretch afterwards and uh <laughs> and then you but then yeah you open those things up and you're just like yo i'm right back in it you know, so it's not hard. And I, I found yeah. myself reading a lot more when I when I cut it out. Like I was just like, because the thing I can't remember the way the app would work is it would anytime I try to open Facebook, it tra- you have to put in a code and then it'll be like, are you sure? And I was like, it basically is supposed to like disengage. You go like, that's ah, not worth it. I don't care. It's not as easy as like click in and I'm already in there, you know. Yeah. And so I would just go ah, or I'd stop myself. And be Like, wait, no, I don't want to do this. So I'd be like. Oh, I'm so used to just sitting here like scrolling for like the next 30 minutes now. What am I going to do? And I was like, I, I, and I just, it's easy to find or not easy. It's, it helps to be able to find other ways to channel it where I would be like, well, I just, I'm just going to read on my Kindle a whole lot more because I have all this time now. Like, or yeah. I'd be like, I guess I'm going to play this game a little bit longer or it just depended. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, it's too late. Did, and did you not feel like sucked. way better when you were reading? Yes. Well, I, I challenged myself at the beginning of the year to read a book a month and I surpassed that now. But I feel like I'm, it's probably like, a, you know, it's probably like a, a psychological thing, but I feel like I'm better for it, you know? I mean, well, you know, it was no, no, I would. Guess. I would agree. Well, and it's crazy. I'm trying to remember this statistic I read where they talked about how most people, so it was really interesting. I'm trying to remember who did this. He broke, he breaks down the average human lifespan. And he's like, so he's like, yeah, like 76 years. And then he breaks it down into weeks. And he's like, yeah, that's only like, couple thousand weeks. I think it's like 4,000 weeks. And so he's like, if you're at this age, like our age, he's like, you're technically like a third of the way there, dude. And he's like, so at this point, like imagine you want to read, you know, we'll just say 10 books a year. And I can't remember the number he would get to. I think it was talking about how specifically he was like, 
you'd like to think you'll be able to read an unlimited amount of books. But realistically, yeah. if you only read this, like one book a month and then you chart out the average lifespan, they're like, you're only going to get to read like less than a thousand books in your lifetime. And you're like, yeah. holy shit, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. And you're, you're like, like I should think so of like at books. least 2,000 I want to, 2,000 that I want to read. Exactly. Yeah. That is my problem is my list is growing faster than I can read it. And I always am like, that's a great thing, but I'm like, not if I can't get to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, do you not do audiobooks? I do. So I do audiobooks. Um, I just, a it's, a it's a toss. I so it depends on the audiobook. Like, um, if it's a book, I also am really keen to do audiobook if I've already read a book. Like, if I've already read it and I want to reread it, I'm like, I'm going to listen to it this time and see if I get a different interpret. So, like, yeah, uh, like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Like, I read that a long time ago, and then I was like, there's got to be an audiobook. This book's like famous, and I found one, and then I listened to it, and I was like, being able to like do exercise or walk or whatever, and like listen to it, I was like, yeah, it, it hits a little different. Like, some things are more solidified in my mind. But then also too, like a lot of it is just kind of inherent, you know, if you listen to people and ask questions more than you talk, people are going to remember you like Dale yeah. Carnegie's tidbits of knowledge where he's just like, don't blab, like listen to people. And you're like, yeah, people will remember you a lot more for that. Yeah. That's so funny. At, you know, two hours into a podcast where I've been talking most of the time, you drop that tidbit off. Well, uh, well, I mean, you're my guest. So like, you're supposed. <laughs> again, that's the thing is you're supposed to be the one talking more than me. You know, that's the way yeah. it's supposed to go. But again, yeah. there's, you know, try to have a healthy back and forth, but yeah. Hey, and you said that, you know, you look at like podcasting as like an artistic expression and mm -hmm. like, I used to do a lot of like Twitter spaces and stuff. And yeah. dude, it's a total challenge. Like, Oh yeah. You know, what, what is totally underrated in the art of like, somebody being interviewed is the interviewer right is like i mean there's a total challenge and you know form of expression that that exists in that and you can always see like when somebody you know is asking like thoughtful like an insightful question like nardwar is like famous for this right like, yeah yeah know, i love nardwar um, <laughs> yeah yeah just so all over the place like you can't not be engaged and like just the differentiation of questions like you know, um, one of the reasons I like stopped being a guest on like most Twitter spaces is because like you just get asked the same questions, right? Oh um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And like, I always would look at somebody who's like, this is, you know, kind of the first time I've been like the public face of something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you'd always look at like Bill Belichick, like uh, if you're into football, but like his post-game press conference, it was like why he's so grumpy. And it's because that guy's been asked like the same question like a thousand times about like, you know what happened on this play but then you somebody asks him like a football question of like you know why is like Wes Welker like the best you know slot receiver and he'll go into the intricacies of like the position and like why it's so important right and he'll go on like these really like intricate rants about it and um yeah and no, I was you know it's it's cool that you do that as like a form of you know expression because it totally is and and it's one of those things that like I don't think you notice a lot like but when you have that moment like where it clicks i think like again like presidential debates are like famous for having horrible moderators you know and like that's the one thing when you're at the end of a presidential debate and you read like who won and who lost it's like the moderator is always the loser because like, they never <laughs> do a good job right so oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's cool that you kind of take like an artistic mindset to something like that well, yeah. And it's funny you bring up Twitter spaces because that's what led me. I was doing a lot of Twitter spaces for um, other people of I would just participate in them and ask questions. And I think I had I had some dude reach out to me where he's just like, 
hey, like you got a lot of people interested with your questions. Would you mind hosting the next one? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I don't care if you want. Like I'd never done it. And then I did it. And he's like, that went great. Do you honestly, do you want to just host them from now on? And I was like, sure. Like, why not? Like, and after I did it enough times, I was just like, yeah, you just got to know um, what you because like, again, like I my questions are always like a baseline of giving us freedom to, you know, their questions, a lot of people want to know, especially people who know nothing about your project. But in between all there's there can be another 10 sub questions mm-hmm. that we can ask. And, you know, it is, again, as you said, I think it helped listening to a ton of podcasts myself for like yeah. hours and hours and years of looking at the people I liked. And I was like, how do they operate? What are they asking? How do they work? And I'm like, it's just like having a conversation. But then in the midst of that conversation, they're like, all right, I'm going to ask this legitimate question. And then we're not going to just get a one sentence answer. We're going to dive deeper into it, which again is why, I I mean, who knows how many people will look at this podcast and go two hours and 40 minutes, fuck that. But there's going to be some (laughs) people who are going to be like two hours and 40 minutes. Hell yeah. Because I listen to three hour podcasts all the time. Do I listen to them in one sitting? Absolutely not. But I love long form content. Um, And that's, that's something that like I always wanted to bring to my podcast, you know, I was always, I always joke with people. I'm like, you want a rogue in it? And I, and most people are just like, I don't have the time to do that. I'm like, that's fair. But as an interviewer, I think you really have to take a unique approach to being able to um, pull some people out of their comfort zone. Cause some people are not used to it and they will give you a one sentence answer. And then it's your job to follow up and go, okay, I see you said this. Can you elaborate more on that and kind of guide? And then you get like, I know it's funny. Elon Musk was famously like that on Joe Rogan where like, he was super like, ugh. like he didn't say much until he starts drinking a bit and then he really opens up yeah. and then he'll start talking about things or until they get him to talk about things that he's interested in. But I remember the first time I listened to that interview, I was like, dude, Elon Musk sucks at giving interviews. Like, and, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't until like an hour and a half in, I was like, oh, he's finally opening up. He's doing a lot better now. But yeah. like, you know, Joe had to really pull him into that and get him there. And I was like, okay, it totally makes sense. So yeah, that's really yeah. good adapt as like the, you know, the other side of, you know, as I said, like the host is, it's a challenge like in and of itself. Yeah. Cause sometimes like, uh, dude, I totally felt that like when I was doing spaces and sometimes I wouldn't prep to the level that like I should have. And it was like, <laughs> it seemed like always those were the guests where I was like, they didn't say much. Right. And yeah. so it was like really hard to just like start to get and pull something you know out of that. I still get made fun of about like this one footer space that I did from my friends. Cause like, dude me and this guy just could not find a rapport you know mm-hmm. um and i just didn't have like the information about him or the project to like really like bring it out of him you know and sure. uh, i think for for me like as a you know somebody who now gets interviewed and, and is a guest on podcasts and stuff like one of the coolest compliments i got like this year was uh you know carly from overpriced jpegs was like man it was so easy to talk to you like you just said things like people in gaming just never say shit and I'm always like, yeah, dude, we're all nerds, you know, like I just don't Literally. come from gaming. So yeah, like, <laughs> I had jobs where I had to talk to people. So, but then I always feel like I talk too much, you know, and I'm like, oh man, I should just like get off this. Like, you know, I'm, you know, at times I could be like, man, I need to just like wrap this point up because right you know, there needs to be more <laughs> of a back and way. forth. <laughs> yeah. No, I, de- I think that's also just being in business development because a lot of times you're the only one talking like you, you have to pitch something or you have to you have to get all the keys be like, look, so y'all have this. We have this. This is how I see it best integrating. This is going to be our benefits. These are going to be your benefits. You know, realistically, like a lot of business development is pitching. You're, you're pitching yeah. to people why they should spend their time, money, effort on you at all. And so unfortunately, like, you know, they're like dance monkey dance show me what you got like and you're just like i'm trying to show you why i think metalcore is worth your time you know or whatever your you know whatever project you're um 
I almost said shilling, which is not the right word. I'm sorry that I'm so used to shit cards. <laughs> whatever, whatever you're trying to sell or um, you yeah. know, get people on at the time, whatever those partnerships. Because really, at, at the end of the day, I mean, maybe you. My experience with business development is really all about like collaborations, partnerships. Like you're trying to yeah. get people who you you're like, I know you could do a lot of great things together to finally see that and come together and work on something. You know, yeah. there's always terms and conditions involved, but you know, it's probably the same as if somebody was like. I always wonder who was the business development manager who was like immutable in GameStop. It'd be great. Mm -hmm. And it worked really well for immutable. I don't know how well it worked for GameStop, but yeah. you know, worked really well for immutable. So right. Who, right. who was the business yeah. development partner on that one who was able to spearhead that be like, we're just, we're going big. We're going for all the traditional companies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think like, that's the, you know, one of the things probably a flaw that I have is I turn a lot of things down but it's like, I really have a hard time working with somebody I can't feel like a collaborative, like essence with, right? Like I want sure. everything, even when I'm the person that has, you know, um, like I, I want everything to always be, you know, mutually beneficial in any like business relationship I've ever entered, right? And so whether that's transactional, like when I was in event sales, like just meaning like, I needed this person to know that I'm gonna do like the best job than like than any other company, right? Um, so, you know, I have a really hard time doing things that are like purely like transactional. Like I, I always feel like I need to have like something that both people can chalk up to as like worthwhile, you know? And, yeah. um, I think that's like really cool being in like, web free gaming space specifically because like everybody's too early to be, you know, on the higher end of like the power dynamic. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. I guess like, you know, and, and it's maybe like, and I'm not an infrastructure or anything like that. So people pitch to me like way more often than I like am pitching to anybody. Mm -hmm. It's just like a matter of, I just get the final say of whether I want to work with that person or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's it really interesting kind of dynamic. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people like, you know, I think another one of the, the issues of Web3 is like the, the business development people, like probably not that probably not that good right well a lot of them come from finance yeah, yeah. a lot of them come from finance and so they have mm -hmm. a really really good understanding of the finance sector which is just like a small snippet of web3 yeah. total so it's, it's hard it's for that, them to really match people yeah. up in that sense yeah it's that or they're they're like builders like from a software standpoint or like tech yeah. people and they're trying they don't want to like hire a bd person so yeah. they try to do it themselves and you're just like, yo, dude. and they're just telling you like why their thing is so good. And they're not telling you, like you said, a, a very important part of this development is like, why is this a product that like, not don't tell me just why it's so great, but like, why do I need to use it? Right. And yeah. that's lost a lot of times. Cause it's just like, it's again, it's falling in love with what you built and thinking that it's the greatest thing and, and not really having a, um, you know, a, a reasoning for like why you know jerry or whoever is on the other end of the phone might be like somebody who's poised to benefit from that you know it's just like oh this product is so good and you're just like i guess so you know so all you've been doing is telling me about it so <laughs> right and I, i'm sure y'all like i do get countless countless pitches every single week of my life about how people are like not even just for the podcast, but um, for I was I was a CEO very briefly at a company only because nobody else wanted to be the CEO, and I was like, and I was in business development for the longest time, and I was like, I guess I'll give it a try, 
and got in and was just like, um, I was like, yeah, I don't, I just think being CEO is not for me. It's not what I enjoy doing. Like, I don't like that really top level down. Not everybody wants to do it. Um, I just preferred, it didn't feel collaborative enough. It felt more like I was delegating and telling people what to do. And I just didn't have, I didn't enjoy that aspect of it. So I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. But I think because I have that small snippet, I have so many people thinking it was my business and I founded it, which I didn't, I just worked for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm constantly getting inundated with pitches of all sorts that I just have to politely, I always res- make a point to respond that I say, Hey, thanks for reaching out, but no, I'm not interested or no, I can't utilize it at this time. Just like I'm, I'm sure y'all get those consistently to the point where you're like, I, right, we just don't have the manpower to respond to all of them. Oh dude. Yeah. Cause it's only come, it only comes through me. Right. So like I'm like the first <laughs> line of defense. So like I am the spam filter, like for the company. And uh, yeah, I mean like as we like get closer and closer to launch, like it's, it is more of like, dude, I just, I can't like justify spending time to like listen to everybody's pitch on like wallets or, you know, kind of like some back end solution or something like, yeah, it, it, rentals, like, you know, things like that. I'm like, dude, I, oh, I have yeah. like yeah. two or three companies I've like, I know I'm going to decide between. I don't have bandwidth to add a fourth in there. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you feel bad, but like, you know, I don't know. Like, Cream will work like, you know, cream rises to the top. They'll, they'll work themselves out. And that's more of like the thing I think like in the, in the current state of it is not enough companies have like gone under yet to have shown like who's really more worthwhile as a, you know, partner to, to build with. So, you know, like, like I said, I think the next six months kind of sort that out. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for not filtering me out. Oh, my pitch dude. to you, my pitch no. to you on LinkedIn. I try to keep it short and sweet, but yeah. I know that people are like, I don't have time to go listen to this podcast and decide if we're a good fit. So that's why I always yeah. try to keep it short. I'm like, hey, love what you're doing. Love to have you on the podcast. Listen here if you want to see how it's done. No harm, no foul if you never hear back from you. And sometimes you just got to bug people. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the difference though, is like, you know, I think you having a podcast is something that is of immense benefit to me, whether that has, you know, one listener or a thousand or 10,000 or whatever, right? Like it helps me get the name of the game out there. And um, so, you know, those are opportunities like I never, never pass up because you sure. know, it's, all, it's all about growth. And, and just like, we're, while we're still in like the grassroots stage, you know, I'm lucky that they say, yeah, like, you know, go, go do the podcast, Jerry, we'll pay you, <laughs> we'll pay you for those hours. So <laughs> yeah, dude, that's the great yeah. way to be. Well, and again, like I, I, again, like as we're going back with it being an artistic thing, like as I always told myself, the podcast stops being fun. I need to seriously reevaluate it because I've never not had a conversation with a guest where afterwards I'm like, <laughs> I didn't really like gain anything from it. Like I don't have a physical thing to come out of it, but I'm just like, wow, I just feel like I got so much knowledge talking to somebody. I've got so much to understand. This is great. People are going to listen, get to listen to it. Um, and it just, I feel like it just helps me grow to better understand what I'm trying to do with this whole podcast, which again is really just trying to get people like yourself at like these companies that I'm like, I think you have a great game. I think you have a great product. I, I want to help get it to as many people as I can. And being able to have somebody do a deep dive behind the scenes of like what's going on, I think just always helps. And again, I'm, I'm mimicking off what I've seen podcasts that I enjoy and really like. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Oh, anytime, dude. Absolutely. I'll come back if you want. I will definitely have you come back at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's funny as I say that to some guests and I, I can tell at the end, they're like, I'm not coming back, <laughs> but that's fine. I get it. Some people are just like, I don't have time to come back. It's not any personal thing. Like, yeah. um, I, again, I always feel bad when somebody's like, I only have 30 minutes. I'm like, 
we should really do an hour. I'm like, 30 minutes flies by, man. But you know, yeah. when they only do 30 minutes, I'm like, hey, I'll do it. I'd rather have you on than not have you on. So it's funny when people can do this. I'm just like, we probably can talk about a lot of stuff we didn't need to talk about as well as stuff we did get to talk about that we should have talked about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I always appreciate it. So I will, I will wrap it up with this, with my final question, which is, you know, what advice would you give younger, any younger folks who want to start getting into Web3 or maybe are starting their Web3 project? Yeah. Um, it, you know, when you look at like a Web3 project, right, it's um, or, or just the landscape that we're in right now. Right. It, you know, I am very big believer in being realistic and um, it's, it's hard. Right. So building here, um, it's, it's a niche industry that, that isn't super established yet. Yeah, I think we're very well on the way to becoming that. Um, but, you know, um, if you're looking at like the current landscape, like I said, like you're probably going to have to self-fund, you know, so be prepared for probably doing something on your own if you don't have the money or bring people on or just giving up huge chunks of equity like before you even start something, right? And that's if you have a good idea. Um, but, you know, if the landscape kind of shifts and, and, and sentiment like picks back up, like it's still not going to be easy to build in Web3 for probably the next couple of years until the metal cores and the wild cards and all these things come out and, and there's more use case for the technology. So, you know, um, just just have some resolve, like and know what you're doing and why you want to do it um, and, and know what the end goal is and work backwards from that. Because if you if you don't, you know, I think there's a consistent thing with all the businesses that you're seeing hurt right now, and they didn't they didn't start at the end and then work themselves backwards, right? They they just had an idea and built it, and they they've been meandering and trying to find their way through instead of like being very purposeful with everything that they do. So um, know what you're doing, know why you want to do it, and and know why you want to use the technology, right? Don't don't do something aimlessly, right? So um, you know if 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 you're going to use the technology use it in innovative and creative and um you know use it in, in ways that um can make people's lives better and um if you're not doing that you know you're you're probably just wasting your own time so uh you know not to sound super harsh or mean or anything but you know if you're uh if you don't have those ideas you know come up with the answers to those things first and then you know figure out how do you get there um and if you can't answer those you know, it's not to say you shouldn't do it, but just you have a lot of thinking to do. And um, that's OK, because that's that's most people. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if you're going to if you're going to put your feet and you're going to plant your feet in the Web3 space, um, know why and, and you know, know what benefit you bring to, you know, not just the people that are here, but the people that we want to be here soon. Amen. You know, I I, I agree with all of that. And to prevent us from going on another. What, what, <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> because it's the harsh truth that people need. It's like, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld used to tell people, like, don't be a comedian. And his whole thing was like, well, if I tell you not to be a comedian and you stop being a comedian or stop attempting to be one, because I said that, you're not supposed to be a comedian, right? But if you're willing to say, fuck you and keep going, like, yeah. you have what it takes, right? So, sure. No, I, I get you. And I think that, yeah, it comes down to like, I'm going to make my, I'll make my own destiny. You don't get to tell me how to make mine, but yeah. 100%, yeah. But somebody who's going to make their own destiny has answers to all those questions and they should be building right now. Like they shouldn't be, you know, waiting. There's no better time to start than right now. Right. So. 
Oh, I 100% agree with that. I That was something um, I did with this where I was trying, I was just like doing a bunch of stuff on the back end and I was like, when is this going to be ready to launch? And I was like, probably never. So I'm just going to pick a date and whether it's ready or not, I'm launching on that date. And I'm really glad I did that because it forced me to get everything in line by a date. But then also as things were developing and I was doing episodes, I was like, oh yeah, I kind of wish I did this or done that or I'm realizing what is or what I thought was going to be super important really doesn't matter and it's fine the way it is. It doesn't need to be. I I felt rushed and like it wasn't. I was like, oh, my artwork isn't like that good. Nobody's going to care. And I was like, you know what, dude? Realistically, most people don't care about the artwork, so it's fine. Like, yeah. And you know, you, you, starting was the hardest part, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and, mm-hmm. and then I would say the hardest part now is just um, not even keep momentum on my end it's just um you know gosh i lose count how many times i shoot out emails and messages to people and get no reply and i'm just like hey i i can do episodes by myself educating people about a game or content i'm like but i think interview style is so much more engaging and i think that's what my listeners really like so it hasn't happened yet but i'm always like man i hope there's not a lull where i i can't get people in there (laughs) yeah no dude well if that happens you just tell me i'll yell at paul I'm still going to tell you to yell at Paul because I want to get Paul on here. <laughs> I have no shame in saying that. That 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 is one of the beautiful things too is being able to make connections with people like yourself where it's not even like, a, oh, like I'm going to gain this thing, but it's just like, um, you know, realistically, like how the heck would we have ever met or talked if not for this? Right. Yeah, so, no, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's what I always appreciate about it. And then um, mm. things along that way where if I'm like ever at, you know, an event or a conference and, or if somebody ever asked me about somebody who I've had on the, the podcast and I had a genuinely good interaction with them, like, I'm never going to be like, be like, yeah, so-and-so's a great guy. Jerry's a great guy. I talked for like three hours, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm like, yeah, I have a metal is a great game. They got good people going on. I'm like, I, I don't know why anybody's saying anything bad about them. Like if they are, which I don't, again, I don't hear anything bad about y'all other than the, yeah. the haters as always, but no, I appreciate that. We don't get a lot of haters. So that's probably a good thing. I think we've done everything as uh ethically and you know as correct as we can right so we haven't sold anything no we never forced anybody to buy anything so i think that's probably why we avoid a lot of it but (laughs) yeah that's a good place to start yeah shit jerry do you have anything in closing you want to say that we missed no i don't think so for anybody who actually made it to the end of this you guys are rock stars much like the not like the people who left the bands that i loved and quit being rock stars um (laughs) But yeah, now anybody who goes to um, metalcore.gg and pre-registers for our open beta will get a free um, vehicle when we um, move to ZKVM. So that's the only shameless plug that I have. Um, it's just an email. So very easy to sign up uh, for that. And other than that, man, appreciate you having me on. I had a very good conversation with you. I loved having you on. I will definitely have you back. I don't know when at some point for sure though yeah, um anytime. and i will obviously have everything linked to y'all's site all your socials in my show notes so people can check that out but jerry it's been a pleasure really appreciate it super good pleasure i love being here so i'm i'm excited to come back on whenever you'll have me well friends that's another episode down if you enjoyed this podcast we would really appreciate you rating it on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher wherever you can rate and wherever you listen to and get your podcast it would mean the world to us and help get this podcast to people who truly are involved in the web3 gaming 
blockchain, and cryptocurrency and want to learn more and stay on top of these emerging technologies. If you have any queries, want to reach out about any collaborations or advertisements, as well as want to reach out with any improvements you think we could make on the podcast, please email us at theweb3gamer at proton.me. We would love to hear from you and take every response very seriously. Take care and keep gaming, my friends.